0: I'm so damn fast, I can wake up at the crack of dawn, rob two banks, a train, and a stagecoach, shoot the tail feathers off a duck's ass at 300 feet, record a three-hour podcast, and still be back in bed before you wake up next to me. <laughs> That's pretty good. Thank you. I was trying yeah. to figure out which one to replace with podcasts, and then I was like, just add right it to one. the list. Yeah. Just throw it in. Exactly. It makes it even more impressive, the brag. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I thought that was an okay young Leo, right? I thought it was pretty good. It kind of no. had that It's the rhythm of right. Yeah.
1: The the ring of Titanic and Romeo and Juliet that well not Romeo and Juliet so much, but like that kind of like swaggery
0: quality. I don't know how to describe it. It's funny how different and how much he is still the same from adult Leo to child Leo. You know, like this is I, I'd say when you get to Titanic and Romeo and Juliet right after this, right? Right after. That's when he's like a young man, right? He's become like a heartthrob. This is maybe the last performance where he still feels like a kid. I mean, he's literally playing <laughs> the kid. But he feels like... He a, is playing the kid.
2: Right, absolutely.
0: He feels like a boy in this movie.
2: Yeah, and he's about eight inches wide. He, he's very little. He's very little. He's quite <laughs> petite, yes.
0: <laughs> he's so little and delicate and I feel like I think so much of the narrative around Leo was like his whole post-Titanic Scorsese jump was like, I need people to stop thinking of me as boyish, right? Mm -hmm. Like he went so out of his way to stop being floppy haired, stop being sort of like charming and light and all that sort of stuff. But you still see so many kind of similar mannerisms and tricks, even in how he plays his most hard-boiled people today.
1: Yes, you do, but there was that, and it suits him. Yes, obviously. In this and in Titanic thing, there's that sort of punky. I think I'm so special quality to these early performances that totally suits. Like it's perfect, perfect casting here, right? Right, right. that yeah. he, that he, that he's maybe like whatever fully convinced that he's a movie star when you're like well you're not a movie star yet leo but now it's weird because he is a he's leonardo <laughs> I dicaprio i
0: know it, it it is one of the most fascinating things about watching this movie is like all the home media releases and i imagine even just like the graphics they use on streaming sites and rentals or whatever are sort of like the four of them at equal billing right like stone mm-hmm. hackman crow dicaprio and then you watch the opening of this movie, and it's like Stone, Hackman, Quick and the Dead, right. Russell Crowe, <laughs> names, 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 right. names, 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 and, and? Leonardo DiCaprio, and they are at the end. Yeah, no, I know they're the central quartet, but it's like the two guys immediately become the biggest fucking movie stars imaginable right after this movie, and Hank Hackman has like six more years of being elder statesman before he retires. And Sharon Stone, this is one of the movies that I think causes Hollywood to sort of disregard her prematurely.
1: Yes, although this is also, is this not her Oscar nomination year? Is it? Because Casino is 95, isn't it? Well, yes, Casino it is. is 95. But I mean, I think you're right that this is, I mean, I mean—the the, there's a couple movies coming. We can talk Stone in a minute. Yeah, there's yes. like a, a few years coming up that I guess is the true nail in the coffin for her as a movie star, but... This I movie think, definitely underperformed. Go ahead.
2: I yes. think it's her blank check. Like, she's a real producer. She's like, yes. she's coming up. That is she, my exact point. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. More yes. than Rami's. Rami's is very confusing filmography for blank check purposes, as far as I'm concerned.
0: <laughs> but she used a check to hire Rami, someone yeah. who people thought of only for doing sort of junky sci-fi horror sort of pulpy stuff. I don't think they would have been quick. No pun intended to hire him for this. She used her check for Crow. She used her check for DiCaprio. Literally. Like, yeah. yeah. No, but like, <laughs> right, exactly. This was really her thing. Yeah. Uh, got Sony to buy it for her. Um, I do think you're right, David, that like, Casino feels like a coronation moment of like, fine, right. we're, we're going to respect you as a serious actress, but also now can you go away? It, it, there was a weird dismissal in the Casino nomination, I find. Where people are like, okay, Scorsese got a good performance out of her.
1: Yeah, so the year after this, let's just dive right in. I have to give this <laughs> sure. piece yeah, no, Of
0: course. I know Look, we have to introduce
2: is, the show in our guests. It's Blank Check
0: with Griffin and David. I'm Griffin.
2: I'm David. And I'm Roman Mars. Now, wait a second. You can't do that. I well, I know I'm supposed to speak before I'm introduced, but I wanted to introduce myself before I was introduced.
0: That's the one thing you can't do on this show. That is brilliant, actually.
2: Yes, you can speak before
0: you're introduced, and you you can make a good point, which you did before you're introduced. But you can't introduce yourself before you've been introduced.
2: Well, I don't play by your rules.
0: (laughs) No, look, you're 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 podcasting legend. I guess you can do what you want. Do, do you not immediately, the second Roman came on the Zoom, David, feel like, my voice sucks. Like, the second. <laughs> well, but
1: it wasn't. I didn't even have,
0: Griff, I didn't yeah. even have the, um. you know, the window in the front of my.
1: I didn't have Same. the window open, right? Same. I, was I just heard the voice. A, so, right. I just heard, hello. And I, I mean, I can't even <laughs> do can't it. We can't
0: even do it. <laughs>
1: And I was like, what the, f-? you know, yes, it really feels like I'm like a high school basketball player. And like, you know, a, an NBA guy just walked in the, the locker I, room. And i I'm feel just like, like, oh, I see.
0: I feel like I'm the kid and fucking Hackman just walked yeah? in. <laughs> yeah. Well, that that makes Roman sound scary and mean. No.
1: <laughs> Look, right. Griff, I want to say something about Sharon Stone right away.
0: I want to say that it's a podcast about filmographies. Directors right. who have massive success early on in their careers and are given a series of blank checks and make whatever crazy Passion projects they want, and sometimes those checks clear, and sometimes they bounce. Pew, pew, baby. I, I, <laughs> Shoot out! I couldn't think of a good. Whatever. It's a miniseries on the films of Sam Raimi. It's called Podcast Me to Hell. Today we're talking about his 1995 Western, The Quick and the Dead, which I think a lot of people don't know exists, and I think a lot of people who know it exists don't realize it's a Sam Raimi movie, which is bizarre because it is so much a Sam Raimi movie.
1: It is, and it should be called The Slaps... And it's great. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. Oh, it's so Sorry. good. It's, the, it's so good. The yeah. rules um, ended, Fox.
0: Yeah, exactly. But listen. <laughs> yes. Speaking on Sharon Stone. Our guest today is Roman Mars of 99% Invisible. He already introduced himself. <laughs>
1: Obviously, Sharon Stone's early career is busting out of, of hit genre films like sure. Total Recall mm-hmm. and then Basic Instinct and then Sliver, right? Mm-hmm. Like, these are, these are where she's. Uh, making her name this year she's got the quick and the dead which we will talk about today but did not do that well at the box office then Mm -hmm. she has casino Mm -hmm. which is an undeniable hit maybe a little bit of a come down from like goodfellas or whatever but still she gets Mm -hmm. an oscar nomination i was gonna say
0: a, a hit it's a certainly a win for her but it was like oh scorsese made lesser goodfellas was the tag at the time
1: Mm-hmm. Now, in the next year, in 1996, Griffin she had two films. She had Diabolique, the remake of Late Diabolique, big flop, which is a big flop, and she had a Bruce Beresford movie called Last Dance that was also a big flop. Hmm. Right now, this is what I want to get to. There's a Golden Raspberry Award, okay, that existed for quite a while until from 1982 hmm. to 1999, called for the Golden Raspberry for Worst New Star. Hmm. Yep. And she was nominated for it that year. And I saw that and I was like, what do you mean, new star Sharon Stone? Like, she'd been around for a while. Like, what yeah. were they thinking? Yeah. So let me read you, Griffin, the five nominees for worst new star for the 1996 Golden Raspberries, okay? Okay, okay. The, and these are rude, to be yeah. clear. Uh, no, in I in classic Razzie fashion, <laughs> I guess. Myself for <laughs> rudeness, okay. Okay, here we go. All right, one, and Ben's gonna be mad. Beavis and Butthead and in Beavis and Butthead to America. What? what the fuck? Great producer. Rude. That's
3: so like Outrage. undeserved, first of yeah. all. Yeah. They're yeah. so cool. Yeah. Whoever th- made this list is like such a nerd who doesn't like fun. And that movie agree. was a hit. Totally. And it was a hit. And, and it the was, movie good. was a hit. And people and it. was liked good it. as a hell. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So the next they two are. They got the are... guy from fucking uh, Unsolved Mysteries, right? Yeah. The voice, yeah. Unsolved Mysteries.
2: Like, sure what is his name I don't know but that's a
3: huge get as far as I'm concerned <laughs> wait sure. that's your argument against a particular <laughs> Razzie knob yeah. was they I think got, there are
0: other arguments I don't think you have. there's to other that stuff far. that's
3: great too it's got Hank Hill in it I mean come on don't get me started Robert is Stack it? was it Robert, Robert Stack, Stack, Stack at the time Robert Stack yeah.
0: yeah okay
1: okay so some other nominees Ellen DeGeneres was nominated for Mr. Wrong I guess that was sort of the, the the first Ellen Star vehicle didn't work out, right? That's that's more pretty
0: disastrous movie.
1: Yeah. Next, there's a group nomination for four Friends cast members. So they're going after the Friends cast members. So
0: ninety-six, would it be is is Ed in there? Ed is in there, Matt LeBlanc. I feel like that's the one they're really going for. Yeah.
1: Cause the Sh- others are David Schwimmer and the pallbearer. Right. Matt Matt Reeves's directorial debut. Hmm. Uh Lisa Kudrow and mother which is like a supporting role so that's a real stretch yes and Jennifer Aniston and she's the one which I feel like was a movie that everyone thought was okay so they really should have just nominated Matt LeBlanc and Ed that would have actually been on
0: yes fair
1: yeah uh then they've got Pamela Anderson and Barb Wire who wins now an an obvious Razzie thing right they just pick on the the model slash act right you but, know like but let's know, put right.
0: a pin in that i'm going to come back to that later this is connected to a larger point i want to make go on
1: sure and then the fifth nominee is Sharon Stone but it's billed as the new quote unquote serious yes. Sharon Stone right. in Diabolique mm-hmm. and Last Dance so they're basically you know stamping her with the like don't try and fool us right. Sharon Stone
0: you're not a serious actress you're a genre actress La- Last Dance is a death row movie yeah right Uh, she's, she's the one making the, the clemency case. She is on death row for a murder and Rob Morrow
1: is trying to save her, uh, from death row. You've also got Randy Quaid, Peter Gallagher, Skeet Ulrich. Wow.
0: I mean, I'm just, I'm looking at after this. No, 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 no. I'm just looking at after this, right? So 97, she doesn't make a movie. 98, she's got Sphere, which is a flop. It Mm. is. Good movie. high profile flop. What if there was a Sphere? Sure. She's got Mighty, which I think is viewed as another sort of failed Oscar bait movie for her. Yes. Yeah, so Although uh, uh, quite a
1: sweet film. I haven't seen it since I was a teenager, but I remember it being.
0: Yeah, fine. I remember it being re- relatively fine. Uh, gets a Golden Globe nomination for that.
1: Right. She's kind of like a fake lead. Like the kids yes. are obviously the leads. She's the supporting mom. But yeah, right. It's billed as a Sharon
0: Stone movie. Right. Then uh, uh, Voice and Ants. 99 is rough. 99 is 99 is, rough. Like is she's Gloria. A Voice in Ants. Yeah. Which is yeah, a the Gloria remake. No disastrous one Disastrous movie. Right. Lumet remaking Cassavetti's only 15 years later, whatever it is. Uh, B-
1: bizarre. A bizarre choice.
0: Yes. Uh, the Muse, which she gets the Golden Globe win for that. And the story immediately becomes she bought every member of the Hollywood foreign press like a Rolex. And she bought her way to the award. It's an infamous sort of this is how easily the Hollywood foreign press can be swayed story.
1: Griff, here's the thing. She didn't even get the win. That was the nomination. Are you kidding story. me? Story. She lost to Janet McTeer for tumbleweeds. Wow. But the Golden Globes ordered all 82 members to return luxury gift watches that Sharon wow. Stone and or October Films had sent so, yes, it became this embarrassing, like, she didn't even earn wow. the award, the, the nomination. Uh, she's
0: pretty good in The Muse, isn't she? That muse, that movie's all right. She is good in that. yeah. But, but, like, truly, from that point on, she's done. Simpatico. If These Walls Could Talk, too. Picking Up the Pieces, which I think isn't even theatrically released. Beautiful Joe. Like, these are, like, movies that do not exist. I know. By the time
1: she's popping up in Catwoman as the villain. Yes. It's this like jokey thing of like Sharon Stone. Like, remember her? And of course, she was famously attacked by a Komodo dragon.
0: Yes. Right.
3: That's the other thing. Wait, what? Yeah. What are you talking about? She was a com- like komodo exactly, dragon. He's talking about
0: exactly what he just said. She was attacked <laughs> by a komodo dragon. She yeah. t- how big are those fucking
1: things? Her they're the biggest land like, animals, or whatever. They're like ten feet long, or something. They can't be. They're
0: terrifying. Okay. They paid what? to close down a reptile house at a zoo so they could have a private tour,
2: right? Yeah. Well, she was married to Phil Bernstein, who was the right. uh, editor in chief, or I don't know something. Of the san francisco chronicle so this is the local story that i knew of the time and right, uh, right you're they, an sf they, guy they they closed down i'm uh, um, an east bay guy yeah, i will correct you i'm so sorry, sorry. i'm so, <laughs> wow. so sorry you're a bay area guy just, wow and, and uh, <laughs> then um but I, I lived in san francisco too so i don't mean to be so <laughs> rude about it um but they they closed down to get a special uh a viewing of the komodo dragon and it actually bit phil bernstein's foot Right when, and it, and which is notable because the way that they kill things is they have this horrible mess of bacteria in their mouth. And they don't actually like kill things by killing them, chomping them. They kill things by biting them and then letting them fester and die and then eating Jeez. them later.
3: Wait, that's kind of sick. That's so metal, actually. To be <laughs> what honest, a, what, they
1: are very Damn. bizarre. I remember when when you're a kid, I feel like you learn like Komodo dragons are like the largest lizards that exist, and you hear like. That sounds awesome. They're called dragons. And then you (laughs) see them and they just kind of look like big lizards. They're they're like, and you're a little disappointed. Like they don't even look like a crocodile or something cool. They just look like, and you, you, you never see them in comparison to anything. So they just kind of it's tough to gauge size.
3: That's the thing. I can't get any perspective on them. They just kind of look like lizards. Yeah, they're pretty big.
1: They're, they're pretty low to big. the ground, obviously. What's so there, there's a yeah. there's
2: a James Bond with the Komodo dragons in
1: it. I think like, it's Skyfall is the yeah, one where yes. he's in Macau.
0: Yes. and he gets like kicked into a Komodo dragon pit or whatever.
2: Yeah, classic. It's always
1: happening. <laughs>
0: but the, but that is truly her biggest credit in that five year period. Right between 99 and 2004 Catwoman where they're repositioning it as is this the sort of ironic comeback of Sharon Stone playing full camp? it's just news stories like that. And it's her going on the Golden Globes and giving a rambling speech and then Amy Poehler making fun of it. Like, she just becomes this weird sort of pop culture figure who isn't even thought of as an actor anymore.
2: And it sucks because she is so good in this. She's so good. She is so good in this. She's so good in this. I think
1: she's a very underrated star in general. Not by everybody, but by a lot. I think her... Her 90s run is very strong and, you know, and she took good risks. And certainly the story of this movie is her making a lot of correct, you know, creative decisions. Correct. Like, you know, she she's handed some power and she uses it well.
2: Yeah. I mean, when this movie came out, I was a 20-year-old into movies. And so I saw it in the theater. I was very excited for this movie. And Sharon Stone was a thing I had to overcome to be excited about this movie because I only knew her as basic instinct uh sliver you know like and i didn't i never saw those movies but they just were distasteful for me as a like a snobby movie guy you know at the time and yeah, yeah. and but now when i when i watch it and i at the time i love this movie and it, but now when i watch it i'm just like she's amazing at, in this movie yes she's yes. so good in this movie
1: she has incredible on-screen presence
2: and i want it, i want more for her like a like a like a time machine me wants more for her in her career than this.
0: But what, when we were doing the Verhoeven series some years ago and watching like Total Recall and Basic Instinct back to back, you're just like, how did within five years of Basic Instinct coming out, all of Hollywood decide she is a joke? Like, it, it just doesn't make sense. And it's not like that's a fluke performance. But I do think if I could circle back to the Pamela Anderson thing, right, because mm. the Razzies are dumb and they're rude, but they do. In their own stupid way, represent the the sort of worst type of consensus opinion around popular culture within eras, right? There there are things that they do latch onto of just like this is what the dumbest people feel. This is this is what they're reducing movements in pop culture to. And you look at a list like that, you look at a category like that, David. And two things I find run really, really strongly through the entire history of the Razzies is they hate things made for women. No, they absolutely do. Yeah. Right. Sure. They also, look, they make fun of big dumb boy action movies. They hate Michael Bay and Sylvester Stallone and whatever. But like, it does feel like movies that are specifically made for women, there's this attitude of the nerve. How dare you even try? What is this dumb shit? The other thing is they, they like hate anyone who too explicitly titillates them, right? Like, mm. I'm not saying Pamela Anderson is good in barbed wire, but there's this fury of how dare you make this movie where you show us your tits the whole time. Right. And like, they gave Basic Instinct so many fucking nominations. It is absurd. And it felt that like is had...
1: wild considering the, obviously the Basic Instinct,
0: right? Oh my God. I'm
1: realizing Sharon Stone was also nominated for Worst New Star in 1992. Exactly. For that. Right, rude She's been twice. Yeah. Right, It's, like, um, it's yeah. like
2: rejecting, rejecting her before she has a chance to reject their nerdy asses. You know right, what I mean?
0: right. But it's like a, it's a Madonna and the whore thing of being like, "How dare you be this sexy on screen in this hypersexual movie?" That means I can't take you seriously. You have to be frivolous. And then once she makes the shift to like, "I'm ready to use my clout to make serious films, interesting films," they're like, "How dare you try to be serious now?" You fucking piece of shit. You know? Like the first time they give her a worst star for being in an erotic thriller, and the second time they give her a worst star nomination for not being in erotic thrillers anymore. Because the run in between is her doing like Sliver and Specialist and the movies that you would do after Basic Instinct if that's the thing you want to maintain. And mm-hmm. the second she starts veering off from that, like the Razzies get angry at her again.
1: It's very interesting, you know, beyond the Razzies though, that like, I guess the, the roles like Quick and the Dead is a great pick. That's sort of out of yeah. the ordinary in that she has actually identified a script with a very compelling female lead, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. That she can play. And she's like, cool, I'm going to do this. Casino, obviously, that's Scorsese tapping her at the absolute perfect time for it, the absolute perfect role. She is such good casting in Casino. I love that performance. And then after that, things like Diabolic La- uh, Last Dance Sphere feels like her agents, Hollywood, whoever, being like, okay, let's find you more like steely ladies, right? Like, mm-hmm. what? how can we class that up? Or how can we, you know, make that A-list? And I just feel like the scripts aren't there. Here's the other thing, and this is totally superficial, but she cuts her hair, right? Yes. Everything pre-casino, long hair, And then post-casino, she has the look that I knew when I was a teen person getting into a teen person getting into movies. (laughs) Sharon Stone always had short hair. She always had the like very short blonde hair in movies like The Mighty. Not in Gloria, obviously. She needs like the big, you know, but Muse she has it too. Yeah. Yeah. Sphere like and does that like kind of like put her in a weird like sort of post you know femme fatale box i have no idea i just i I just feel like her image shifts and hollywood gives up on her or something i don't know i don't know the sharon stone thing's weird
0: no but i i mean look roman as the person who saw this in theaters at the time and as you said it's like there is that sense of even if her erotic thrillers or her more you know sexy roles were big hits that it was like but we can't take that seriously i also think on top of that and tell me if i'm wrong here Everyone was just making fun of her all the time. Like, even when she was at the peak of her career, she was kind of like a classic, like, Leno-style punchline.
2: Yeah, I think so. I think that's the nature of those erotic thrillers. Like, make in in the same way that you talk about the Razzies, it makes people, like, nervous and nervously make jokes and nervously, like, dismiss her um, because they're afraid of their feelings. (laughs) Right. Right.
0: And then when she cuts the hair and it's like, wait, you're not trying to be... A pinup model anymore? Like you're not looking like the idealized form of a femme fatale. Then people get angry at her
2: again. It's a tragedy. What it is? Her, her career. But I also think that she probably, you know, she stepped away. She seems to have a lot of other interests. She's super smart, you know, and um, and I I'm pretty sure that part of her career was her choice too uh, i wouldn't like take that away from her because she um she definitely like made choices later on to not be in things i'm sure yes
0: i mean she's she's talked about being like really fucking fed up with how everything i works. mean why
2: why not yeah <laughs> like <laughs> why, absolutely why not <laughs> and so and, and especially because i think this is one of those ones where it is both it is so quick of the dead is so against the grain like this is not the heyday of the western this is not Sam Raimi is not an established uh, director, A-list director. It it is a strange role, and she took all that stuff put together and made this thing happen. And yes, it's just a testament to like how on it she was, and how much she was not, you know, really just trying to take boxes in that sort of you know kind of Will Smith way of just like, okay, I'm going to study all the blockbusters of the world, and I'm going to decide I'm going to you know like make blockbusters. So she just made a cool ass movie with her power, which is awesome. You know? She
0: also like. Put her neck out on the line successfully for two of the guys who were about to become two of the biggest leading men in Hollywood, and the man who would direct
2: the, the first huge superhero franchise. It's amazingly prescient. It, it's it's stunning.
1: Yeah, it's 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 funny for 1995, and I can get into some of the context in a sec, But like when you think of westerns, obviously, it was sort of a supposed boom for the 90s western. Was sort of had me you know, right. Dances with Wolves wins Best mm-hmm. Picture, and then Unforgiven, Unforgiven. wins Best Picture. Yeah. And then you have these movies like Geronimo, you have Tombstone, uh, C- City, Wyatt Slickers, Slickers, City Slickers, Maverick, <laughs> City Slickers, which right? right. is a huge school. one. Uh, like, and so in 1995, all the movies we just mentioned have come out. And not I would say a lot. most of the movies we just mentioned were hits. Not Wyatt Earp. But most not of them, Geronimo.
0: Geronimo was a flop. not. Geronimo. But the rest of them are all hits. Yeah.
1: yeah, and and like this, I would say is right when the bloom is again off the rose. Like Hollywood's western comeback really just lasts a few years. Yeah, and by 1996, the only big westerns I'm seeing here are from Dusk Till Dawn, which does not count. That's a horror movie, obviously, but it's got western themes, I guess, western mm-hmm. aesthetics. I love that movie. To be clear. Lone Star which is like a you know dark neo western mystery contemporary yeah. and like that's basically it like i mean this list has last man standing i don't think of that as a western really is it it's like a prohibition movie it's like gangsters
2: yeah but it's it's definitely in the style of these i mean it's a remake right. of of it's uh, a remake of yojimbo yojimbo and what what's the what's the western version of yojimbo i can't remember but there's another one in between there
1: and then by 97, it's like The Postman. That's like the only Western Hollywood. This is
0: what releases. I was going to say, though. Like, Costner is the guy who's like really working to bring the Western back. And by the second half of the 90s, he's kind of shifted more to sci-fi. Like, Postman <laughs> is like Western sci-fi. He's done Westworld now. Or Waterworld, rather. Not Westworld.
1: You can sneak in horses and stuff in like the Mask Yeah. You know, some Wild Wild West. Like, something like that where it's like, it's not just a straight ahead Western, but the quick and the dead is really stripped down in that. It's like, here we are in a town. There's a mean sheriff. Right. There's guys. There's a saloon. Everyone's got guns. This is not about like the American experience, you know, <laughs> in the West at all. It's about like, what if there was a town where everyone's job was cowboy who shoots you?
0: Right. Like, you know, there's no like economics at work. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's it's like fucking like Karate Kid part two with with shootouts or whatever. But but also, yes, you have Gene Hackman doing a Western for the first time since he won an Oscar for playing the bad guy in a Western. Which was just like three years ago. It wasn't that long ago.
1: It
2: is really funny to me. The the juxtaposition of those two characters, which are basically the same character. (laughs) Yeah. But one of them is like serious with serious motivations where you can see he's a good guy or maybe at one point in his life was a good guy who went down a very very dark path and um and and the herod character in this one where he's just a cartoon villain mm-hmm. um and they're both so good that I, know. I like both performances so very very much and it makes me think that maybe gene hackman is the best actor of all
0: time. And there's I, a I, solid uh, argument anytime <laughs> i hear someone suggest that it's it's hard to shoot it down like you, you he's at least in that very, very upper realm of debate.
1: The whole thing with Gene Hackman is he could absolutely just give you Gene Hackman, right? Like if I just called him up and I was like, you're going to play kind of like a gritty, tough guy in this who doesn't take a lot of shit uh, and you're maybe going to have a mustache. He would be like, you know, that would be fine. And so you could be fooled into thinking like, yes, Gene Hackman was a great movie star, but he kind of just did his thing. And then you'll see something like Get Shorty, one of my favorite mm-hmm. Gene Hackman performances ever, where he plays like a quivering buffoon, yeah. like like absolute idiot, cuck, great character, so funny. And then you're like, shit, Gene Hackman secretly could do anything. yeah. And like, and like, that is why, yes, there's an argument that he is the greatest actor
2: in Hollywood history, I think. I think he's, a, it, there's an argument. You never hear horrible things about him. He he's sort of like he he just is well, able to you.
0: <laughs> everyone said and I think he's admitted in the years since he retired and chilled out. He was incredibly difficult. Oh, OK. That he was not a friendly man. <laughs> I, I'm i not using like uh, uh language to skirt around it. But I feel like even like when they've done uh Royal Tannenbaum's retrospectives and that's mm-hmm. like his second or third to last movie ever. Uh, they all say like, he, he's not, he's not pleasant. Like he's very intense and he's angry, uh, which look is his superpower on screen. Like he is better at harnessing anger.
2: Oh, he's so good. He's so good. His levels of anger are fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I like his sort of growly anger and I like his like when he gets, you know, upset, it's like, When he gets in his red shirt, he goes, you're not faster than me. You know, he gets really up here like I just fucking love it.
0: (laughs) You you are dead right, though, Roman, that like the facility in in just sort of him understanding the difference between these two characters, uh, you know, this character and the character in Unforgiven that on paper are very similar. And the differences, the sort of shifts he makes in in energy modulation and performance style to fit into each movie and the demands of that narrative properly,
2: it, it's totally different. And because I was coming in, so I watched *A Quick and the Dead* and *Unforgiven* for this. Oh wow. For this little broadcast here, and um, and I was like, um, because I was going to make the case that they were the same character, and right. they are not. They are very, very different, and it all comes from the way Gene Hackman plays it, not how necessarily how they're written.
1: It is surprising that he was cast because of what you're just the superficial yeah.
0: connection. Yeah. On paper, yeah. you're like, right. It's the kind of thing where st- studios are both like, let's just have him play Little Bill again. But also you wonder if that's a deterrent, if audiences gonna be turned off by seeing something they've already seen.
2: Right. But um, but they're totally different. I mean, it takes a, it takes a minute <laughs> to notice it in a way or you have to really be paying attention to it. The same way I think you have to notice all the incredible things I think Sharon Stone is doing. Like I agree. She's one character at the very beginning she is she is playing a character of what is what if Clint Eastwood was this role, but it, it's a woman playing it and then Herod shows up. it freaks her the fuck out so much that every moment after that she's twitchy, she experiences her trauma all the time. you see it in her face, you see it in the movie like they really train on her reactions in her face, and I think it's brilliant. I think it's a brilliant it choice. I think it's a brilliant way that she plays it and I and and it really is about a person being affected by another person that changes their whole, like, facade. And um, I think that the way they interact together is, like, is incredibly well done.
0: I, I think you see how much you learn from working on those Verhoeven movies about not needing to be uh, uh, realistic, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or naturalistic in her performances, that she can do something more expressionistic to better suit the tone, the mood, the genre to sort of make bigger statements because so much of her character is this sort of... I mean, this entire movie comes out of this, like, if you were to just have the man with no name be a woman, how does that change the dynamic of every scene, right? Right. And so she's playing with that very consciously of when she needs to play the emotions of the character, when she needs to play the iconography of what she's representing. And it's, yeah, it's, like, really impressive work. And Hackman is able to make this entirely different character from Little Bill Despite not doing any obvious actory things. It's not like That's he said, I want a prosthetic nose and a mustache so the character's different. I'm gonna do a different voice. I'm gonna call it some tick to make him really unique. It's just emotional modulation and knowing exactly what movie he's in and what role he needs to serve within that story.
1: You you guys know Hackman lived with like Dustin Hoffman and uh, who, Duvall, who's the other, right uh, Duvall right back right. in the day in New York. The, the original right?
0: Pussy Posse, yeah. Right.
1: That but like <laughs> imagine living with him. Even young Hackman, like who's maybe has less gravitas. Yeah. Or what you know, and and like you ate his cheese out of the fridge, or like just imagine like having roommate <laughs>
3: conversations with him. It chills me to my bones.
4: Yes, yes, like trying <laughs> to
3: ask him to do the dishes, like yeah, hey. exactly like
1: um, gene I, when you come you home at left night yeah.
3: can you not slam
0: the door it's waking me up like whatever i mean the other thing is he just he always looked like that yeah <laughs> you know he just like had gene hackman face and yeah, he had that yeah. voice yeah young gene hackman
1: i it's very very hard to picture obviously there's sort of like night moves gene hackman right like sort of like middle Gene Hackman with the stash, where he just looks exactly the same. You look at young Gene Hackman, you're like, yeah, I I, I get it. Like I get yeah. that that makes sense. But he's like a
2: little. He's he's bulkier in French Connection, which is his yes, big breakout is. role. And um,
1: he, he, he's he's a little sausage. He's you know he's with a little hat and a little jacket. Like yeah, he's <laughs> he's yeah, he's
2: not a trim guy. Intimidating. Yeah, that's ba- that's basically it. He's he's intimidating, but but I think one of his the reasons why like I have such reverence for him is because he was never quite that Lee Man style. Yeah. He was able to be the best part in so many movies. Um while he you know, he he can be big, he can be smaller. He, I mean, he can just do so much and I kind of like all of it.
0: Agreed. Um, He's fascinating because he can selflessly take on a supporting role or a villain role or be a mentor character or whatever it is and be the most interesting part of the movie. And then whenever he was placed at the top of the movie to play the the plot driver, he also somehow remained the most interesting person in the movie. (laughs) Like he never (laughs) collapsed under the weight of that sort of narrative responsibility or needing to be the leading man type or any of that. There's a story. I think I sent this to you and, and the Doughboys, David. We were texting about how good Hackman is. Uh, and I sent you guys that clip of uh, Kevin Costner on the Rich Eisen show talking about Hackman. Did you watch that? Maybe. What What's what's the... There was whatever thriller the two of them did together. Hackman and Costner. Pretty early in Costner's... Oh, career. No Way Out. Uh, no way out. Uh, Great yeah. Movie. No Way Out. Yes, yes. Um, so they were talking about on that movie... Costner was coming in pretty hot, right? Like he is (laughs) a man with a lot of opinions and he was uh, very ready to be a leading man and a director and all of that. Uh, So they're doing all these scenes and um, I I think he was saying that like most of his scenes with Hackman were in like office rooms behind a desk and they didn't feel very dynamic. I've never seen this movie, but that he he was behind a desk for most of it. And that... um, he got to set and was sort of like, this is boring. We should do this. Move this chair, stand up, change the blocking, whatever. And uh, was just being very opinionated with everything. Ronald, Roger Donaldson was sort of pushing back on him. and He was really being stubborn about like, I finally have become a leading man. Like, I don't want to blow it. I don't want to be lazy. I don't want to rest on my laurels. I want to make every scene as dynamic as I can. This is Gene Hackman. This is one of my idols. And Hackman was just sitting there like silently the entire time. Hmm as these fights were happening, and then would just wait for them to settle and would do whatever they landed on, right? And at the end of the day, and Costner was like, I don't know if I pissed him off. I don't know what's going on here. And at the end of the day, Hackman stops him when he's like walking of his trailer to get to his car. And he goes like, hey, kid. And Costner, Kevin Costner was like, Gene Hackman's about to chew me out. Like, is terrified of Gene Hackman, even at peak physical Kevin Costner, right? And it's just like, this guy's going to fucking destroy me. And Costner goes up to him and he's like, you know, I had a bad divorce and I had to take some movies I didn't really want to do and pay my settlement. I think I sort of forgot what I like about doing this and watching you today fight for that. It reminded me of when I was a young actor and I cared about every single choice. So thank you for that. Wow. And he, That's like, cool. walked off. And then Hackman has, like, a golden period right after that.
1: Huh.
0: Yeah, it's true. He passes the... He, he. You're right. He, like, reignites the torch. Sorry.
1: Yeah. yeah it's like, when Hackman... Because I feel like why Hackman won an Oscar for Unforgiven... I mean, obviously, he's really good in Unforgiven.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: It's a perfect supporting actor. But it was also kind of the Oscars being, like... You
0: you still got the juice, buddy, like or whatever, you know, like yeah. it was, it's that rediscovery thing. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I think his eighties were not particularly great outside of Hoosiers, and Costner says that Hoosiers, I think, came out when they were shooting No Way Out. Yes, right. And Hackman was like, I got to be honest, I. I I didn't know what we had. I thought that was a piece of shit and I didn't think I was giving it my all. He's incredible in Hoosiers, but it's obviously a very quiet internal performance. But Hackman, by his own admission, was like, I feel guilty by, by how much I wasn't respecting that movie and appreciating it while we were making it. I feel like he
1: did a lot of stuff for money, right? Like he's in Superman yeah. Four. That's kind of embarrassing. <laughs> he's
0: in a lot of shit. God, well, like yeah. Uncommon Valor was a movie that was like a hit, but wasn't respected. Like he did a lot of in the eighties. This is what he was saying. He had like a bad divorce, and he did a lot of movies for money.
1: And it's not like in the nineties he did all gems. Like he did a no, lot of, but uh, but I mean, God, this year he has Quick in the Dead, Crimson Tide, and Get Shorty. Is his ninety five?
2: Well, I just feel like even though he you know, he's in movies that don't turn out to be great, he always comported himself well. Where That's like I thing. don't think the stink of a bad movie ever really stuck to him. Um which which is part of the you know, the grace of not being a Dustin Hoffman or a uh, Robert De Niro or a you know, like that he gets to be good in things and be respected, but I, I don't know, like he doesn't take I don't. I. I don't remember him in those bad movies.
0: No, and I also think. I mean, David, we've talked about like the Tommy Lee Jones phenomenon, where Tommy Lee Jones is another actor whose superpower is like anger, right? And so when he's giving <laughs> simmering a movie, anger, right, right, and like disgust and distaste for everything around him, when he's giving a movie his all, he's incredible. And when he hates that he's in a movie, he's incredible because his actual disregard his movie translate (laughs) so I think like whatever period where Gene Hackman's heart was maybe in it a little less the performances were still really fucking compelling and then I think in the 90s he started just being like putting his heart fully back into everything and then yes even when he was taking paycheck jobs he's like over delivering on all of it uh
1: god he's so good he is good the quick and the dead is good this film is directed by Sam Raimi (laughs)
0: <laughs> and but bo- and boy was it directed it he really was it, 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 directed the this shit out of this I, look
1: i love sam Raimi, and i love this movie and i love how he directed it but it is that kind of thing like when i was 12 years old and i was trying to understand like what is a director what how how can i watch a film and understand how it was directed this would be a good entry level where you're like did you notice there were a few subtle choices in terms of how the story was told? <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's sort of Sam Raimi's fingers, that you're, his little fingerprints right. that you're noticing here, right? You know, right. like,
2: do you notice that that gun floating across the screen for no reason? That's a very Sam Raimi move right there.
0: <laughs> you watch this movie, you're like, was he the only guy who watched the Man With No Name trilogy and during all the shootouts and standoffs was like, come on, let's throw some juice in here. Not enough stuff happening. <laughs> right.
2: I I love it. I it's I think so it's good. like it it it's weird that um you know Western, which is often kind of an excuse to kind of um have a movie do nothing <laughs> except for just have vistas being on display. That he takes that and just like pours Sam Raimi-ness into it in in a way that is like um I find uh, so compelling. Like I really love it. It it's just like I I would never put it together that these like succession of shootouts is the perfect use of his superpower but it totally is it's a, just a video game of like yes. of, of a boss level like uh, you know like continued like series of boss level fights that allow him to like do canted angle that just you know flips all the way over or a, the jaw <laughs> the jaws like pull back angle sort of thing and he just does every, and every single fight is different he, he's like it's so good It is that
0: he uses every tool in the toolbox. He doesn't repeat himself. And the other thing with him is for how loud his directing style is. I don't think there's a single thing in this movie that is like the flash or style for its own sake. I agree. Every choice he makes as loud as it is, is in support of trying to convey the emotion of that moment with the most sort of extreme amount of energy, which for a film that is very, very, Clean and simple and straightforward plot-wise, it does help a lot.
2: I totally agree, and I think that also the emotion stays with it. I mean, there's some key emotional moments that are played sincerely, and you feel them sincerely. They are not a joke, and it's a really delicate balance to to strike. And he does it, I think, throughout this movie, which is why I think one of the reasons why I think it's a real triumph. I agree with everything
1: you guys are saying, but I think that at the time critics did not agree at least the the popular reaction was this movie is all flash you know it's all sizzle no steak and i'm not getting any emotion and sam raimi can't fucking calm down right like that was the hit (laughs) at the time
0: well so all the the westerns you're talking about in this sort of like 90s Mm -hmm. late 80s 90s wave right that is dying at this moment all of them are like very austere They are prestige adult revisionist Westerns by and large that have like a simplicity to their filmmaking style. And this is a popcorn movie. Right. I would say
1: Tombstone is the trashiest of those 90s Westerns. Uh, It's not nearly as sort of fizzy as this movie, but Tombstone, obviously, definitely a little more. A little less austere. And then City Slickers was not the most austere work. But of course, I am I, joking when I include City Slickers in all this.
0: But but truly, City Slickers is more austere cinematically than this is. Like, City Slickers yes, is, is, is very <laughs> saccharine.
1: Yes, I would say that most things you are, are more right. austere. Than this. That's the thing.
0: <laughs> it's a low bar. But
1: yes, yes. yes it absolutely is. Uh, yeah, so Quick and the Dead, even though it has actors from Unforgiven and it has uh, like the aesthetics, uh, the, the 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 look, not not the way the camera's moving, but, you know, the the frontier town and the costumes yeah. and all that that would feel very recognizable. Yes, it is aesthetically uh, completely different from all the other Westerns people are seeing. So maybe that threw people
0: off, like, too goofy. I'm looking at Gene Hackman here. I forgot that in between Unforgiven and Quick of the Dead, he is also in Wyatt Earp and Geronimo. Yeah. He's in yeah. two yeah. No, of he, the other movies we've mentioned. He would sign in on. This run. Yeah. He would
2: sign on. Uh, he, he
0: still liked Money. <laughs>
2: Yes, God, he loved it. I I remember this being a flop or being a, yeah. a critical flop. As it was fo- completely confounding to me. Like because I saw it and I just like, well, that's one of the greatest movies I've seen this year. And I mean, I think that one of its the other thing that was going on is like you're you're kind of in the Pulp Fiction, you know, I- ironic. Uh, th- like th- this this is a pastiche in a in an interesting way of Sergio Leone. But it's also not ironic. It's not no. um, mean. It's not ironic. Spirited. No. It's not. It has a real sincerity to it that I think also short circuited the kind of cinephile reaction to it, too. Like it had it didn't get embraced by any group of <laughs> of moviegoers at the time. And I just I, it, I don't know why it was this a big fat meatball for me.
1: Yeah, it was a February release. Like, I feel like that's kind of a weird dumping from Sony and like. The whole thing is just kind of neither. It's like, well, this is an expensive movie with movie stars. Is it a prestige project? No. Is it for families? Definitely not. Oh, okay. You know, like the, the, the options are kind of narrowing.
0: It's only award nomination is a Saturn Award for Best Actress. That's it. For her. Wow. For, from Dawn is the year after this. And that's what you're talking about, Roman. Like that's the Western that is now speaking to the post-Tarantino generation by being written by Tarantino, starring Tarantino, and 30 minutes in being like, just kidding, we're not a Western. Right. I mean, right. and I, to be clear, I adore that movie, Same. But right. Yeah, the whole t- joke
2: totally. it's
1: great. of that movie is that it stops being a Western, and it's, you know, right, you know. Anyway, The Quick and the Dead. Let me give you guys some context, okay? Right. Please. All right, so this film's written by Simon Moore, uh, who at the time is best known for the TV miniseries Traffic, with a K. How would you, which, you of course,
0: know that... <laughs> Traffic is spelled with an IC in the United States of America, where we all have lived our entire lives. In
1: 1989, there was a British miniseries for Channel 4 in it uh, called Traffic. uh, Are you talking
3: like that, David? uh, Yeah, this is uh, very odd. Which doesn't
1: sound right, actually. No. (laughs) Famously turned into the film Traffic by Steven Soderbergh many years later. I'm assuming none of you have ever seen it. I have never seen the film. Uh, I the, have sorry, the, the mini-series. sorry, the mini series. I've I'm not seen the mini series. Yeah. Well, David, how would we have seen it? I don't think it yeah, aired in the United States see. until mid 2000s No, it aired in, on Masterpiece Theatre in nineteen ninety. It was a very big deal. Well, how would you know uh, that? <laughs> <laughs> I <I'm> reading Wikipedia. <laughs> I've never seen traffic, mm. despite having I feel, lived in England. For I feel like we're many, getting many, many very years. close to something. <laughs> <laughs> I said it. I said it. What? <laughs> um, <laughs> no, it's funny when you look at traffic because. Obviously, the Soderbergh movie um, was about the cartels, right? And all that, you know, like it it was about Mexican drug dealing and so on and so forth. But uh, the British movie was about uh, heroin dealers, I think. And it was uh, about like Afghan and Pakistani growers and all that, right? Like, it's funny how it got transposed. Anyway, that thing was a big deal. So I guess Simon Moore gets kind of brought out to Hollywood where it's like, okay, buddy, what do you got? And he had written a movie called Under Suspicion. He writes that and got directs turned that, into a right? movie, right? Yeah. Did
0: he direct it as well? He did direct it.
1: Uh, which I've never seen. Hilariously, of course, uh, Gene Hackman later starred in a different film called Under Suspicion.
0: Mm. <laughs> that is not what we're talking about.
1: <laughs> we're talking about the Liam Neeson, Laura
0: San Giacomo, like, kind of sex thriller, which I've never huh. seen. It is funny sometimes when you, like, troll through IMDb like that and you find a movie where it just feels like th- four things pulled out of a hat. You're like, what if we try and you're slapping magnets on the board and you're like, Liam Neeson fucks Laura San Giacomo? Is that a movie? Yeah, right. It just sort of sounds like something that would have happened in
1: 1991. Like, what are you going to check? Like, that sounds (laughs) fine. What do we Uh, call it? I don't know. Under suspicion or something. So Simon Moore basically is like, I loved spaghetti westerns. I loved the, you know, Sergio Leone style western. I loved the Mexican standoffs. And I was just like, what if there was a movie that was all that? (laughs) Cool. We cut everything else out and it's just shootout after shootout.
2: The Princess Bride uh, effect, you know, the kind of, yeah. Take all the good stuff
1: so smart it is quite smart and he wanted to do it spaghetti western style he was going to direct it himself he was going to like go out to italy you know try and get like 4 million dollars right mm-hmm. from some studio and uh basically what happened was eventually sony who had turned down the idea of the movie with him directing mm-hmm. calls him and they're like we'll buy it for a lot of money like we will you know turn it all around and he truly like I think he didn't even know what script they were talking about because he was so confused like I guess he had several scripts out and then like the way he puts it is like it was a Frank Capra moment where you're you you know like where he was like I'm never going to have any success I'm always going to be poor and he got the phone call and like that was it it was like all the money in the world and he was suddenly, like his whole life changed or whatever. No,
0: was that because Sharon Stone had found the script? Was Sony buying it to try to lure Sharon Stone or did Sharon Stone ask Sony to buy it?
1: Yes. Uh, Basically, I think, the and it sounds like classic Hollywood stuff, which is like, Sony calls him and they're like, we want the script, we'll pay top dollar. And he's like, what do you want to do with it? And he's like, we can't tell you. (laughs) Sony's like, you know, like won't reveal any of that. And then eventually they are like, so, yes, we're going to have this is going to be a star vehicle for Sharon Stone. And she wants Sam Raimi to direct it. Mm-hmm. And Simon Moore was like, wait, that sounds great. I love Sam Raimi. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. like I think like he, they maybe assumed that he would be like Sam Raimi. Like, forget that. And he was like, Sharon Are you Stone. Me? Like, yeah, yeah, right. yeah. And they he he did the rewrites. Like it's like basically they never took the script away. Like uh well, oh no, I'm sorry. No, yes, they did no, take this good. the John <laughs> Sales thing. Right. Yeah, right. For a while he's he's working on it for them. And then one day they fired him and they brought in John Sayles and he beefed up the script to a two and a half hour movie.
2: Jesus. Huh. Well, it's so funny that you mentioned Lone Star, which is John Sayles written and directed that came out at the same time, which is almost like if you could have a polar opposite western from quick and the dead it's probably lone star which is a movie i fucking adore like i that love that movie
1: it. is fantastic phenomenal but certainly it is not a uh, uh, blockbuster tinged <laughs> right exactly no, 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 it no, is no. a slow
0: yeah. and interesting film and what's interesting about it from the way i read it is that i think they brought in sales cuz they were like this thing might be a little too popcorny can he add some like serious mm-hmm. western gravitas to it right and then he does that by adding an hour onto the runtime, <laughs> which they're like, this thing is overblown now. So then they bring more back to rewrite Sales's draft. And what he did was just took out all the sales stuff and they went, yeah. great, you fixed it. So he was like, <laughs> essentially what they made was the oh, first geez. script from before they fired uh, me. What a waste. <laughs> I mean, it is like, I, Griffin, you and I have heard stories like yes, this. Yes,
1: absolutely. About Hollywood production where they ruin a script trying to fix it and then like turn back around and they're like hey can you fix it and the answer isn't hey can we go back to your original draft it's hey could you come back and change your change script so that we like it again like they 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 can never admit the mistake enough that they're actually like you know what let's go to draft eight instead of draft 47 Draft date was
0: actually when it was good. Like, they, they just have to keep going. Right? They feel like it has to be an additive process. And especially in this day and age, you can just be like, go to my email from February. There's <laughs> a draft that is dated. Um, yeah. there, there's a story I remember hearing about a, a uncredited writer who uh, I, I think he was a critic. did rewrites on the first Tim Story Fantastic Four movie. And Jessica Alba kept on coming in with notes every day about her character not making sense. Yeah, because Invisible Woman doesn't make the most sense in the world, correct. but okay. But they were just sort of like, this whole movie doesn't make sense. This is like chaos. Like, what are you talking? She'd come every day and have so many notes on the scene. This and that. I want this and I want more of that. And at some point, uh, the uh, the this writer just cut like 90% of her dialogue out. And wow. was like, because it, it, the studio was just sort of like, she's becoming like a nightmare. We just like, can't solve this. And she's holding everything up. Can you just like cut her dialogue down so she's got as little to do in every scene as possible? And he comes to set the next thing. He's like terrified that just Alba's going to chew him out. She runs up to him, gives him a kiss and a hug. And she's like, finally, someone cracked my character.
1: <laughs> Not and present.
0: all they did was just remove. Wow. It's look. I'll say this
1: as someone who writes professionally for a living. Sometimes, you know, you'll turn in a story and you write it'll be like, I want this, 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 and this. And you'll like make one change and they'll be like, yeah, I love it. It looks great. Like, you right. know, like it, it's sometimes it's totally. just some weird vibe thing. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's so bizarre.
2: I don't know. It is a mystery of editing. We, I, I edit for most of my life is, is focused around editing and it is weird how much of it is like we work on it, work on it, work on it. And the answer is, uh, let's just cut that completely. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I,
1: Simon Moore here says that a specific concern the studio had was the repetitive nature of the movie. Like, it's just gunfight after gunfight. Is this? Isn't this going to be boring? But
3: Rami solves
1: that. Yeah, like, I I guess I understand that concern in
3: theory, but like... it's. But is Mortal Kombat boring? No. We (laughs) love this. Street Fighter boring? No, you motherfuckers. I mean,
1: I think something that's very important is that you make every character, even if they're a little character, really pop. If it was just a bunch of anonymous villains who are getting shot off the screen because you know Sharon Stone is not going to die until, you know, like, then sure it maybe that would be an issue but sam raimi's like no there will not be one face that you do not remember in this movie
2: yeah it it reminds me it's sort of like um when when we make radio which is my only context for this i don't i don't do anything visual at all is like if you can read a script and it functions the same as as the audio product then you didn't actually you then you didn't actually make radio you know like for sure you, you shouldn't be able to read it and have it be the same and so right. if you read it you know and and that's what is added with all the visuals and all the tricks and all the, the cool things with it. It's just like they made a true movie because if you read the script of it, you'd be like, Well, that's uh dumb. You know, like you know, like that doesn't do enough. Um, but it shouldn't,
0: you know? No, yeah, no, yeah. Not only does he have sort of unique visual ideas for each gunfight and it's are those ideas uniquely paired to each gunfight, not arbitrarily yeah. applied for the sake of variety, right? Uh, but also, as you sort of said, David, it's like, we got to get through a lot of characters fast. How do you characterize them fast? How do you cast great character actors? People that this will be- This guy has a scar. Right. Will be his remembered? name is Scar. <laughs> How do you style them specifically? <laughs> like, all of this shit. It truly is, though. Like, I've been listening to so much uh, uh, Dead Eyes, our friend Connor Ratless podcast, and so much mm-hmm. of that is talking about the weird, uh, when he talks to all these other actors, when you lose parts or gain parts or how people gain parts and the weird eccentricities of casting. And part of it is like a movie like this, where Sam Raimi has to make sure that every person looks distinctive, right? Yeah. Has a different voice, has a different name, has a different gimmick. Is it an actor who we all know? So we got the shorthand of that's Keith David. Or is it a guy who you make like be named Ratsby and you kind of give him fucking rap <laughs> <for> aesthetics? <laughs> or
2: like Ace and his cards. And it's, it is right. so, it is so Mike Tyson's punch out like I'm 10 years older yes. than you. So my video game references nope. are slightly older. That's a good older, reference. But it's like, it's very much just like, this is the guy that does flamenco dancing. And so he has the name flamenco in his name. You know, like it's just, yeah. it's oh, yeah. right, it's one for one.
0: <laughs> but it's a very smart understanding of how. What the audience is gonna need to hold on to in order totally. to be able to stick with this movie. Yeah. Cause when it starts, it's like, wow, you're introducing a lot of characters in the first five minutes. You know? <laughs> yeah. How you're do like, I keep track of this? Right. What complicated yeah, on spider a web is how you narrative? Keep track of them. <laughs> right. And then you're just like, yeah, they're all gonna be on chalkboard. We're just introducing them all now, and then there's gonna be a tournament one by one, they'll all get shot down.
1: So Sharon Stone, as we said. Is the producer of this movie along with the star? She picks this movie because she likes the you know role that's been written here, it's unusual. She likes the idea of a woman with no name, right? Mm-hmm. She had, I guess, been mogul enough on Sliver and said that she like rolled over a lot there, like she was trying not to step on toes or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that movie, you know, w- didn't do amazing i mean sliver is sort of like a trash masterpiece i guess of the early 90s but it's not like a well-received film
0: no and was certainly right not well respected so this is her like
1: i am putting my foot down like movie right like this is where she has uh all the she's calling the shots and she's like i'm not fucking this around like just because you like a big thing she cites is that someone some people quote who shall remain nameless wanted her to wear a dress when she rides into town. Mm. And she was just like, That's, we're not doing that. I am not going to be sexy in like whatever way, you, like whatever normal way you think mm-hmm. uh, in, for this movie." They actually shot a sex scene that got removed with her and Crow. I must have been. It's not clear. It's it's not cited.
3: Yeah, where with would court, have that probably. happened? Yeah, Like outside.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you always chained up to the fountain.
3: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, wait, is that where it moved down?
1: Um, and of course, she got to pick her director and she picks Sam Raimi. Uh, and it's sort of a weird thing, because Sam Raimi, I don't think, has ever directed a movie at this
0: point that he didn't write, right? Like, this is his first kind of 4 hire job. Uh, mm. Correct. And the main thing I read that she hired him off of was Army of Darkness. That She was loved the Army One. of Darkness, yeah. right? And, like, Sam Raimi, not only, this is the thing, had basically never
1: worked with a big actor before, because, like, Liam Neeson in Darkman is not like that famous at that point
0: no it's pre uh fucking schindler's list like this is the first time he's working with established movie stars and then everything else is like literally his friends like you know it's almost (laughs) what's most impressive to me about this movie is that like crime wave was obviously such a sort of knockback for him but how well he transitions to like New budget level, working with established movie stars in a new genre, in a studio system, with a script he didn't develop. And it's just seamless. It feels as personal as any of his earlier films, and it feels as of a piece. Bruce Campbell, I think, does actually have a tiny role in
1: this movie, but he was. Ramey wanted him to have a bigger role. One of the gunfighters, obviously, but he was shooting Briscoe County, Jr., so he was on a good
0: reason, at least. Yeah, it is a good reason. But Are he should tra- have been one of these guys. He absolutely, I mean, these he, sure. any, any one of these
1: roles is made <laughs> for him, basically. And he's very nice in that kind of Raimi way where he's like, This is Simon Moore's thing. Like, it's a great script. 90% of it is him. Like, good job by him. I just wanted to do a good job, like, putting it on screen. Like, he, I think he, as someone who had never. Directed another person's script before was very deferential to the script.
0: What a mensch. He is
1: a bit of a mensch. He had a good time working with Sharon Stone. Guess who he had a tougher time working with? Uh Gene Hackman. <laughs> That's <laughs> correct. <laughs> Things were a little difficult. Uh he says, Gene, very strict, reminded me of an elementary school principal teacher called Mr. Little. Which sounds kind of cool, actually. He was shooting Geronimo, Sam Raimi goes to meet him, and he says, Sam, tell me about the picture. At that point, I would shoot myself and piss my pants if Absolutely. Gene Hackman just said, tell me about the picture. I would be like, right. no, I won't. I will, I will commit suicide in front of you.
0: By the way, he said that with a gun, a loaded gun cocked to Sam Raimi's tongue. <laughs> <laughs> tell me about the picture, Sam. So Sam says he talked for
1: about 15 minutes, and he was kind of just like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then Hackman says, tell me about my character, Herod. Does he love the kid or not? Talking about mm. DiCaprio yeah and sam raimi's like well of course he does that's why he's so mean to him all the time and gene hackman apparently nods and goes like "Mm." and then there's no further discussion because then he accepts the part but i guess like that was gene hackman's sort of weird test was like do you understand this character in the way i want you to or something
0: do you do you know that brian cox succession thing either of you uh, he no. plays.
1: I know he plays the role of Logan Roy on Succession. Is that he what you're does. Okay, about? that's
0: yeah. what I was asking. It's a little trivia fact I found on IMDb. I didn't <laughs> know if you know. Um, <laughs> no. What? What's uh, Jesse Armstrong when he was? Uh, I get. Maybe he had taken the part already. They were meeting with him. They hadn't started filming though, right? And he said to Jesse Armstrong, "Like, I just have the one question for you. I can do all my work. I'm not going to pester you with shit. The one question I just need to know before I can play this part." And either answer is fine, but I need to know what your definitive answer is. Does he actually love the kids or not? Right. And I I wonder how much the Hackman thing was like a test versus him being that kind of very practical actor where he's like, I just need you to tell me which it is. And I can tell you whether or not I can get my head around playing this guy.
1: I do get the sense that, right, Brian Cox is a fairly practical actor. Yeah. Because obviously he does a lot of weird crap. Right. (laughs) I mean, no offense to him. My favorite thing. I mean, I haven't read the Brian Cox book yet. I'm going to, mm. but obviously, you know, everyone's heard that that book is him being like, you know, and Jeremy Irons, what a heck. I hate him. And he <laughs> yeah. has 10 paragraphs and all the shit he's been in. And it's like, Brian Cox, you've done like 40 movies that no one's ever heard of that are like, you know, you yelling at Gary Oldman on a submarine and then you walk off with money in bags. <laughs> they didn't even, for- they forgot to cut that out of the movie. But like you're-, you're handed some like <laughs> aluminum that you can go, you know, barter with. Like, right, like, you know, it's just weird that Brian Cox is such a hack and yet also so comfortable
0: calling everyone out. And I love him, to be clear. The the last chapter of the book, by the way, David, because you said you haven't read it yet. Haven't read it yet. The last chapter of that book is him calling you out for not having read the book. (laughs) (laughs) He knows. He knows. Classic. He's sitting around doing fucking
3: podcasts. (laughs) Read my book, goddammit. Fuck off! He's, Fuck uh, off, anyway. Sims.
1: So Gene Hackman, I this again. This may not this may stun you guys to hear. Was not super into Sam Raimi's style of filming. <laughs> Very technical, complicated setups, many takes. Yes. As he says, he cuts the film in the camera to some degree, meaning that he never lets a master scene run through. So I guess that's Hackman saying, like, why don't you just point the camera at me and let me be Gene Fucking Hackman. And right. Sam Raimi's like, no, 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 I want to do this, and then I want to do this, and then, you know, like, and then I, 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 it has to be exactly this way, or else the studio's going to not like, you know, let me do it, right?
0: You know, so I'm sure he got on his nerves, yes. It is a reason why I think, I, I look, I don't know what his technique is with actors, by and large, but I do think Sam Raimi doesn't get enough credit for how good the performances are in his movies, considering how difficult his style of filmmaking is for performances. hmm And I think part of that is he casts very well, and even if he wasn't getting along well with Hackman, Hackman is so fucking good in this, and especially we will get to it, but the moment after the shootout with the kid, he plays that in such a fascinating way. That's not Hackman, like, pulling a scene off of the shelf that he's done before,
1: you know? Yeah, I mean, that scene is the best scene in the movie, I think. And there's a lot of good scenes in this
0: movie. Can I read this thing? You were talking about, David, the terror of imagining living with Gene Hackman as a struggling actor. Yeah, go <laughs> ahead. I'm just on his Wikipedia. So his one of his main jobs at that period of time living with um, Hoffman and Duvall was that he worked at a the Howard Johnson in Times Square. So if you think it's scary to be his roommate, imagine having to order ice cream from Gene Hackman <laughs> at a fucking diner. But... um he, he one of the people he served at that restaurant was previously one of his instructors at the Pasadena Playhouse who said that him working at Howard Johnson was proof that he wouldn't amount to anything.
3: Hmm. Damn. Wow.
0: Jesus. Yes. And then uh, a Marine. He had be, he had been a Marine. He enlisted in the Marines when he was 16 years old he lied about his age (laughs) well he he... probably looked 47 i don't think he had to lie (laughs) yeah he's 24 in this movie but um he lied about his age at 16 to enlist in the marine corps for four years as a field radio operator right uh so he's had this pasadena playhouse guy tell him you're not going to amount to anything and then a year or two later he's working as a doorman and the former marine officer His former commanding Marine officer said, Hackman, you're a sorry son of a bitch. And there's this quote from Hackman here where he talks about how much everyone dismissed him at that time. And he said, it was more psychological warfare because I wasn't going to let those fuckers get me down. I insisted with myself that I would continue to do whatever it took to get a job. It was like me against them. And in some way, unfortunately, I still feel that way. But I think if you're really interested in acting, there is a part of you that relishes the struggle. It's a narcotic in the way that you were trained to do this work and nobody will let you do it. So you're a little bit nuts. You lie to people. You cheat. You do whatever it takes to get an audition. You get a job. It does feel like that is the energy Gene Hackman carried with him throughout his entire career until he retired. Like he was just sort of adversarial to everyone he worked with. <laughs> Not like abusive,
2: you well, know. That's what that's what I think when I was thinking that I hadn't heard much bad about him is like it never went to the level of abuse. It seems like he's the typical kind of artist style scare. Yeah. He like, was just I,
0: constantly locking horns with everyone all the time.
2: Yeah. And it's yeah.
0: one of the reasons he's like when the rare times he does interviews been very clear on why he doesn't want to come out of retirement. He's like I'm a lot happier now. I finally let go of all that shit.
2: Yeah. Is this the movie where Raimi kind of puts on the suit and does stuff like this? Is is this him trying to like, like I wear um, fancy clothes to mm. basically as my armor and my costume.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Confidence. Like I get it, you know. And
2: um, and heretofore, you know, he had been, like you said, just mainly working with his friends and maybe that wasn't required. But like, do you know when he made that transition to kind of wearing a suit all the time?
1: I don't. Although I know, of course, that is his onset vibe, right? Is yeah. he dresses up, right, 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 Griff?
0: Yeah, I, I would not be surprised if this was the moment. And if it isn't, it still does feel like this is the moment where symbolically the shift happens.
2: Well, this—that's what I like. My psychology is: this is the moment I would dress up if I was asking uh, Gene Hackman to sit there while I rearrange the cameras. Would right. be the moment when I would be sure I was wearing a suit when I asked him respectfully to do this.
0: J.J., our researcher, found this. He he posted this on Twitter recently. I, I imagine it was in doing research for the show, but I don't know what specific episode. Did you see this quote, David? Which one? John, John. I don't know where this interview is from, but they said uh, to Ramey, he just did the screen grab of this question and answer. You always wear a suit on set. Rumor says it's a nod to Hitchcock. And he said, although I have a tremendous amount of respect for Alfred Hitchcock, who is the true master of horror and the father of such modern filmmaking technique, I don't actually wear a suit as a tribute to him. Believe it or not, I wear a suit and tie as a sign of respect to the cast and crew. I like a very serious and well-ordered film set. For me, it's the best way to work, and out of that order, I like to get a tremendous amount of creativity. At the same time, the old masters used to dress in a very formal manner on set, and I always thought it was super cool. And then in a line that might have been ghostwritten by my father— The end of this answer is Sam Raimi saying, nowadays, everyone's got the nose rings and the colored hair. So for me to wear the suit and tie is a different way to go.
1: Uh, Sam Raimi's not here for the nose rings.
0: My father always talks about the mohawk hairdo and only refers to it by that full name. The definite article. Look, The the mohawk hairdo and the thing in the nose is what my dad always says. I mean, there's this story
1: that Bruce Campbell relates because I feel like Sam Raimi doesn't talk a lot of shit, right? Like Sam Raimi strikes me as someone who's not going to be a gentleman. Gene Hackman was a huge pain in the ass. But apparently, Sam had a very specific setup. He wanted Gene to do six different things. And Gene looked at him and said, i'm not doing any of that <laughs> <laughs> and and sam had to talk to him for like 15 minutes about the character to be like this is why i want you to tip your hat to sit in the chair to say this like you know like you know he had yeah. to like
0: talk him all the way through
1: it because clearly gene hackman was like i'm not your action figure you fucker right or whatever it is right like,
0: but but like with campbell was his action figure you know he like yeah. he had this big goofy friend who was also a producer who was down for anything and he could just manipulate into a billion takes by himself it's just i i just think every single performance in this movie is good and he gets people at very different stages in their careers
2: well speaking of uh, when are we going to talk about russell crowe because this is his first american movie
1: yeah yeah i'm about to pivot to russell crowe who i mean i feel like i've lavished some praise on russell crowe on this you're a fan yes have we covered a lot of russell crowe films insider Insider, obviously a really compelling, wonderful performance.
0: But is there another one? That's a good question. I feel like we talk about him a lot. We're obviously developing a live-action Donkey Kong movie with him, but that might be the only proper Russell Crowe film we've covered.
2: Well, in addition to Raimi, the thing I was most excited about when it came to this movie was Russell Crowe. Because mm. I had seen him in Australian movies. You, did you see Romper Stomper? That was sort I of saw Romper big... Stomper, which wow, right, was a big right. deal. And um, and but but this other movie that another one that I hope people find and love is this movie called Proof from 1991. Proof is a,
1: mm. a wonderful. Yes. A Jocelyn Warehouse.
2: It is so good. And he plays just a dude that is yep. not very notable in any way, except for he is so charismatic that he makes this very ordinary guy. Very compelling. And between that and Romper Stomper, I was like, this is the guy. I was like, I was super convinced mm. on him really early on.
1: Well, guess who else was convinced? Sharon Stone. Sharon Stone. <laughs> Fucking good ass taste. Because guess who Sam Raimi wanted for this role? Oh, I don't know. Liam Neeson, who he had just worked with, <laughs> oh. obviously. Yeah, that now, makes sense. at this point, Liam Neeson is coming off of Schindler's List. I don't know yeah. if Liam Neeson would want to do this. He would be make total sense for it. Like, totally. he's a big, you know, imposing... Uh, but Sharon Stone had seen Romper Stomper. She thought he was charismatic, attractive, talentless, talented, not talentless. Uh, uh, Yeah, I was going to (laughs) say,
0: what what a neg.
1: Talented (laughs) and fearless, which I do feel like is fairly crucial. Crow Mm -hmm. had auditioned for a small role. He'd auditioned for one of the, you know, many gunslingers, I guess. And Sharon Stone basically was like, you have to audition for uh, the lead role for Court. And I basically talked Sam Raimi into it, like yeah. you know, and I, I, this is not even a probably not even a top ten Russell Crowe performance. He's given a lot of wonderful performances, He's
3: but he really is fucking
1: magnificent in this. in this movie, and he is so hot. It is crazy yeah. how good he looks.
2: I, I think it's one of his best. I maybe agree, it's Roman. Been, maybe I it just, is. I, it's sort of like his subtlety that I, you know, his bluster that sort of comes on later is like a is the part of a school i don't enjoy as much mm, you know what i mean he can bluster his, me all over the room
0: <laughs> he can throw a fucking phone at your head
2: but him his ability to play uh gentle and tough and kind of an addict and kind of uh like he's basically a violence addict that's recovering yeah. and to for him to do that and be i i i this might be my favorite role of his ever. That's um, the so. thing.
0: Obviously, look, I am that's a notorious... outrageous and disgusting. <laughs> listen, listen, David. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I may be a notorious soft boy <laughs> and I don't want to fucking become Eddie Redmayne here. But I do think there is a fragility in this performance that I don't know I've ever seen Crow capture as well. And the way that is cut with his natural sort of brutish animalistic intensity is really fascinating it's it's a i don't think he is ever called upon to pull up this same amount of energy the same kind of energy rather
2: it's a different energy and also like he's when you capture him here and something that you get is this infinite possibilities with him you you just see all the movie stars he could possibly be and Mm. just over time you you watch them narrow and those walls close off, and he chooses a path, and he becomes more of a Russell Crowe yeah, um, as a person. And in this one, I just see this so like amazing performance and this infinite potential, and it sort of delights me when I see it. It's it's, I, uh, t- it's so I, good. I'm
1: regretting the top ten comment. I think I might revise <laughs> it to a top five because I'm just okay. looking at his filmography right now. Because my favorite Russell Crowe performance is is, mastering. is not mastering. Oh, what? That's probably my favorite <laughs> Russell Crowe movie. That's of probably what. Uh, you know, but uh LA Confidential is my favorite oh, sure. performance. That's like one of my favorite performances of all time. Yeah.
2: And that's right after this,
1: right? Yeah, it's like two it's years right. later. Virtuosity. It's okay. yeah. and and basically LA confidential. Right. It's yeah. basically his for his next performance in a serious movie because God bless virtuosity, which is a, a very bananas piece of nineties, you know, Hollywood is, crap. And he's he is really good at it and he's like, you know, he pops really hard at it, but that's all like a, you know. A real serious mm. movie or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. So LA mm-hmm. Confidential. Wait, this
3: looks good, though. Virtuosity? You haven't seen 6.7, The Ultimate Killing Machine? Correct. Fuck he is me. a VR no. amalgam of every serial killer, Ben. <laughs> ben, wow. do you know what SID stands
0: for? No. Sadistic, intelligent, dangerous. Oh, that's right. Me. <laughs> that right, movie wait. is.
1: I got yeah, get my or... hands on this shit.
2: Damn! Uh, I'll bring Whoa, it over, that's...
1: Ben. I, I've got it on Blu-ray. I'll bring it to you. <laughs> Perfect. That's,
2: a, that's another movie. movie I saw in the theater. I was very excited for that movie. But why you wouldn't
1: like you be? You're a crow pill, crow Yeah. Yeah. Look, Bud. Bud <laughs> White is my favorite crow performance ever. That's one of my favorite, like, you know, characters ever. I love that movie.
2: And it, that is true. I would put maybe that one is higher than this one, but I just find this one so. He just has a different type of appeal in yeah, no, and that, that I just I find it really yeah, stunning.
0: Wh- what's interesting, I mean, you saying, Roman, the thing about like you see all the different ways he could have gone in this. You see how he could have become a little more like Liam Neeson. Like, I think Liam Neeson probably had a little too much gravitas to pull this off at this point and also was probably a little too known and is a little bit too much of a physical presence. There's something about the fact that Russell Crowe in this movie still even watching it from a modern perspective you can't really tell if that violence is inside of him or not you know there's an actual mm-hmm. tension to how much this guy seems to be fighting this stuff
1: to- totally can i fill out my top five i'm now Placy okay about this. <laughs> i think it's only confidential i do think i would put master and commander second that performance is so beautiful uh, then I guess I would have the insider. Those are sort of right. That's kind of like yeah, your your sure. holy trinity of crow. And then I, you, you guys are talking about tenderness, like yeah. uh, the, the the I I the movie is I don't like the movie that much. I know what I you're going to say. I do think his performance in A Beautiful Mind
0: is like that. You know, I, is tapping sure. into that. You know what? Did I you did think I was going to th- say that? No, I I thought you were going to say Boy Erased. Boy Erased is look we
1: talked about it it's yeah i like i like that performance that movie did very little for me yes um he's he looks so strange in the movie that it's almost off-putting <laughs> as you said his eyeballs are fat like it's just <laughs> do you remember that line griffin I've never no forgotten. i do it haunts me in my sleep <laughs> yeah <laughs> um nice guys is is a sort of underrated crow that people forget I, about yes. that's a really that's great
0: performance
1: great Obviously, Gladiator is a is a movie star performance like no other. Like that, you know that shit is for real.
0: I like Gladiator, Master Commander less than you.
2: Rude, I know. I would. I'm, I'm with you. Too. I like Master Commander better. I did. I did not like Gladiator when I Gladiator saw Gladiator. Theater. I was. It, it did nothing yep. for me.
0: And I've given it a few more tries since then. Doesn't work for me.
2: It, it's kind of the point where I kind of got off the Russell Crowe train. Yeah, like I, I. That's I will... what people
0: got on. That's what the
1: train. I know. Was that's what's So it's so weird. On like I, the roof.
2: And, and, and I would take, you know, take him or leave him in certain places. Like I think for, for example, nice guys, I think is like the perfect use of him in a certain way. Right. And, um, but, but he never like sold a movie for me the same way again after no,
0: no, I think for, for me, it's, I probably say insiders, the best performance. And then I think this LA confidential, nice guys. And I'm trying to think what my fifth would be.
1: Well, I mean, there's some others, uh, good performances for not showing out 310 to Yuma he is actually fantastic in that he is fantastic in that yeah. um, I think he's good in man of steel that I wouldn't call that a you know uh, but he's very good he's a lot of fun um, he played two characters in a little film called the mummy dr. Jekyll and wait a second what's this <laughs> what's it's coming into focus hold on adjusting the, <laughs> mr.
0: Hyde what? David, what's David, David is holding a jeweler's loop up to his computer screen <laughs>
1: I love I love Russell Crowe and then and then absolutely you know Romper Stomper is an incredible performance if anyone mm-hmm. has not seen that film Proof is a really good movie that that Hugo Weaving is also in that film and he's also really good that that that's a gem that people should find
2: yep. and and it's another movie where they made another another movie called Proof uh some yeah the time the, later yeah right, the math play movie that bad movie decent play. And uh, in the other movie was so small that nobody cared. (laughs) He's also,
1: Um, he was also an Australian movie called The Sum of Us, where he plays uh, a gay character that was sort of, you know, for 1994, like, you know, a fairly adventurous role. Like, you know, he's pretty good in that, too. Mm -hmm. Thinking of his pre-Hollywood stuff. You guys don't like Gladiator? Gladiator's based on a painting. We got to cover Gladiator for that story alone. (laughs) Yeah. It's just fucking Ridley Scott seeing a painting of a Gladiator match and being like, Gladiators,
0: we got to do it. This is going to be great. Can I just run through what, what Russell Crowe has like on deck? Sure. Because it's a pretty exciting lineup, actually. He's working. The man works. The man's working, okay? He's playing Zeus in Thor Love and Thunder. He is. He directed a movie that he's starring in called Poker Face where he yeah. plays a tech billionaire who gathers his childhood friends to his Miami estate for what turns into a high-stakes game of poker. I am, to use the term, all in on that shit. <laughs>
1: yeah, it sounds pretty
0: good. He's in. Don't degr- love this cast, but sure. Sure. Yeah. He's in The Greatest Beer Run Ever, which is Peter Farrelly's follow-up to Green Book. It's him and Efron, a man's story of leaving New York in 1967 to bring beer to his childhood buddies in the army while they're fighting in Vietnam. Then he's, I think uh, Bill Murray is in that movie. He too. is. Not, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. He's doing Craven the Hunter, playing who knows what. He's yep. playing Rothko in a Mark Rothko biopic. And then what's the last thing here? Oh, American Son. Oh, he's doing the remake of A Prophet, a movie that Sam Raimi was originally supposed to direct.
1: Right. He's, he's playing the, the, the Neil guy. Character. Yeah, the Neil Salstrup, Right. Yes. Yeah, that's cool.
0: That's an interesting lineup of movies ahead. of
1: me. I like him working. I look unhinged was a, a good time, but I'd like him to do more serious stuff as well. Sure. <laughs> Another actor who's in this film, guys, is Leonardo DiCaprio. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you heard of him? Yeah, familiar. Yeah, yeah big time movie star. <laughs> he was a, he was a recent Oscar nominee, of course, at the time, right? Because Gilbert, Gilbert, Grape. Gilbert Grape, mm-hmm. Grape is what the year before. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he was. Sharon Stone was intent on casting him. Apparently, Stone and Raimi paid him themselves out
0: of their budget, out of their salaries, I guess. Yeah. Correct. She was so insistent on him being hired that she had them take his salary out of her salary on this movie. It's weird that they wouldn't want him. That's the only thing I don't understand. It's like, he seems like a really hot name. Yeah. It it does feel like there might have been a perception thing. Because you also have this boy's life. It's like De Niro has said, like, this kid's good. Right? Um, but I almost feel like there was a perception thing of, like, he's a serious actor. He's not a movie star.
1: Yeah. Right. 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 He's... Which
0: is incredibly bizarre to think. Of. Is it that
1: he was too <laughs> babyface? like, Or Maybe? was it that right? he only did, like, serious
2: movies? Yeah. I had read that that uh, Matt Damon was also considered for they this one.
1: Damons, Damon, Sam Rockwell was considered. Yeah, uh, you know, this is those '90s. Whenever like Damon or whoever is interviewed now, it's like you think about all those all these A-list movie stars like who are like young Hollywood bucks like trying to get a good role, right? Like, because when Damon gets Courage Under Fire. He's like, I got the role like, you know, that. that's why he like lost 400 pounds and was like, I got to like I gotta go all
2: in on this. Right. But you could see Damon's face working in this movie, although I love Leonardo, yes. Leonardo DiCaprio in this. But like he he has a like a harder like, you know, like face and you, you could see him fitting in this milieu a little more than than one of the things that's before. Funny and odd about Leonardo DiCaprio is he just seems like a '90s teen heartthrob in this role, which is kind of what the role needs, you know. But but it's not; it doesn't fit the western part of it. He's not dirty at all. He's not a speck of dirt. He's He's a a true like (laughs) golden boy. Yeah, but
1: that's why it does work for me because he does feel like freaking, you know. I mean, this isn't an old movie, but like Alden Ehrenreich and
2: uh, Hail Caesar or whatever. Like,
1: yes. he does feel like some shiny little Hollywood
2: star from the 30s, right? I think that's right. I think that's yeah. what's what's funny about him is he's he's like being cast in a Western m- movie. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, and he's like, hey guys, <laughs> you know so mean? fast. Bang bang. He, he's right. Yeah. Uh, he's not being he's not in a western. Like he's not, it's it's a complete meta commentary of 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 a certain type of movie. Yeah. He
0: feels like Bobby Driscoll in like a live-action Disney movie or something. Like this is <laughs> this is the very last performance DiCaprio gives that still has any child actor energy in the like growing pains sense, right? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. when he makes the transition from like growing pains and critters three and whatever. It's like, oh, no, but he's working with heavy duty actors and De Niro's telling people that he's like very serious minded and he's like wise beyond his years. And Gilbert Grape, everyone said, how could someone so young give a performance like that? This is the last movie where he's got a little bit of child star shine on it. Yeah, yeah. Like there's that cleanness to his delivery and even just how he's styled. And I do think you're right that like. Matt Damon's face, even at this age, fits into this milieu better, but it works against the movie almost if you have someone who is more realistically cast.
2: They they leaned into something that w- might seem incongruous, but it worked, I think, for the movie really, really well.
0: And it's exactly why that fucking final moment between him and Hackman is a goddamn hammer blow, yeah. because when like the entire child star facade drops from him. And he's just going to the paint like full DiCaprio. It's it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. And it's what you said, this thing where you're just like kind of impressed that this movie is able to pull off slow, quiet moments of genuine emotion to that degree in a film that is otherwise so kinetic and frenzied.
1: Right in a film that is about a March
0: Madness of shooting, (laughs) like like that is what it's about.
1: (laughs) Because it's like Sharon Stone rides into town. There's the little you know brief prologue with Tobin Bell, Uh, but basically she rides into town and Pat Hingle is there and he's got like a chalkboard with a bracket on it and he's like, "Well,
0: are you are you in? Yeah, it's a knockout. Here's the deal with this town. We just do a fucking shootout every day at the at the strike of noon." And it's a quick draw. This town's run by this shitty guy.
1: I mean, it's such a bad town. Like, what if you go, <laughs> like, an want onion? to go buy an onion? Yeah, right. Yeah.
0: Like, it's like, sorry, there's no onion salesman
1: here, only shooters. Um, yeah. <laughs> the only other person I want to shout out is Lance Henriksen, who oh, we'll God. talk about Keith yes. David in a second, but I don't yeah. think there's any Keith David. Rich uh, research specifically in here I, but I mean we love Keith David obviously but just the funny Lance Hendrickson thing is he uh, knew someone who I guess worked in Wild West shows and stuff his name is Rex Rossi mm-hmm. and Lance Hendrickson before the movie starts before production starts goes to Rex Rossi and says I got to shoot a card out of this kid's hand that's in the script I think there should be more to it than that so teach me a horse trick so Rex Rossi taught him the trick where he flips off the horse backwards. And when he showed up on set, he says, Sam, I want to show you something. Bring, they bring a horse over. Uh, he jumps on the horse. He flips out off of the horse, shoots under its belly. And Sam Raimi was like, this rules. That's in the movie. Like, that's great. So Lace Rossi showed up with a special horse trick. <laughs> and, and I yeah. guess rather than Sam Raimi being like, Jesus
0: like what why did you work so hard on this without telling me Say baby was like
1: of course like well,
0: you got you got to do this a horse of
3: course
0: a yes. horse of course, of course i'm looking here at the notes it also says that uh, uh lance Henriksen showed up to set dressed like this and said where is hair and makeup and they said we're just going to put you on camera in this look that's a joke but it, but his his it's look hard, in yes. this is Unbelievable! The long jet black hair, the hair,
3: yeah. He truly is dressed like, um, God, like like a rapper now. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Like, who's the rapper with all the face tattoos? Who's like does country stuff too? Post Malone, Post Malone. That's some shit. Post Malone would fucking go out at the VMAs wearing,
0: but he's got that sort of like the Renaissance Van Dyke facial hair. Oh, yeah, and, I mean, just he's he's leaning so hard into his gimmick.
3: he has all the aces in his uh deck of cards for each right kill.: now. You've got Keith David absolutely swagged out, looking incredible. the yeah. best outfit,
2: sick ass pipe, big pipe, big voice, like he's got it all. he's like It's incredible. yeah, I love the outfits in this, like unironically love. All but that, no, they're that's good. Yeah. Such of course. A, like
0: Henriksen and David are such specific castings of like, not only are these actors who are very familiar faces to audiences at this time, even if they don't know them by name, they're going to stick out. They're going to remember them. And they also have incredibly distinctive voices because mm-hmm. you need to just introduce them the first five minutes, put a pin in them, and make sure the audience doesn't forget when they come back and are relevant again.
1: Totally. totally. You got Mark Boone Jr., who, of course, Griffin, you once said, on his performance at Batman Begins, it looks like he sleeps under a pizza. <laughs> uh, <laughs> another Griffin line I've never forgotten.
3: All of my most savage burns. <laughs> <person.
1: laughs> no, it's just like he is—he is the bat. Anytime yeah. Mark Boone Junior. in a movie is in a movie. You're like, oh, I, I get it. This guy's a bit of a scumbag, isn't he? Like right. he's just got the perfect face for it. he scars. You got Tobin Bell, Jigsaw
0: himself, right. Mm-hmm. Uh Woody Woody Strode, this is his final movie, right?
1: Woody Strode right at the end of his career. You're right. Yeah, he died before this movie even came out. Yeah. Um, you got uh what's it called? What's his name? Uh Roberts Blossom. Oh famous old man. Yes. He, he was in Christine. <laughs> We've discussed him in that. Obviously. Hey, he in, was in
0: a couple of the demis. He's the old man in Home Alone.
1: Yeah. And you got uh Keith, Kevin Conway, who I've I've always liked as um, what's it called? As Dread. Yes judge uh, who gets his dick shot off yeah <laughs> not nah, not to and, not to, uh, I know, say, put, to find a point deserves
0: it. it deserves it in my opinion
1: <laughs> yeah he's a bit of a jerk uh yeah. i think he played i think kevin conway yes he played Kalis in star trek the next generation if anyone's a star trek fan out there yeah it's just it's just an incredible lineup of beautiful character actors great faces yeah, yeah. such it, good faces yeah it's really really fun um, and there's men, there's others I'm not remembering. And obviously, like Bruce Campbell shows up for a second, and Gary Sinise obviously shows up in flashback,
2: uh, which is kind of a coup, kind of a casting coup, Gary Sinise, like right Day off
1: time. of Farrah Gump. Yeah.
2: I, I remember that being notable at the time. Like, you see his, you see his face as a kind of daguerreotype, you know, before he shows up. And, and, um, yeah, and he plays a good role and he plays a, like, you can see the way that, that he looks and mirrors court in a lot of ways. And, uh, it, it's uh it's it's really something, and, and I also think that, that that flashback scene of her initial trauma, which um is has, takes a surprising turn, mm-hmm. um where where he's like, and it and it, and it mimics or you know reflects the moment that court is brought in and he's like right. they, they the shoot at the, yeah. the chair and the, and um and you know she's given the the gun to save her father and shoots him in the head instead is like a real moment. It really you feel It, it, it to me at least
1: no I agree I agree you think it's a good job being uh genuinely visceral in all the cartooniness
0: yeah exactly there's the thing I've invoked too many times but I always just think it's such a good like storytelling lesson for movies but the Andrew Stanton finding Nemo thing where originally he had that movie structured where you would get glimpses to the flashback of the barracuda killing his wife and all the other babies Mm -hmm. throughout the movie And when they screened it for people, they were like, I cannot stand this Albert Brooks character. He's driving me fucking insane. Why won't this fish calm the fuck down? And so they were like, as an experiment, what if we just take the scene and we run it in full at the very beginning of the movie and the movie Mm. immediately worked? And it was just that thing of like, you think you're being clever by withholding information for later. But not only is it almost never worth it it also you're depriving the audience of the information that will help them understand the character at the beginning. So when this movie is doling out these little glimpses as the flashbacks with Gary Sinise, I'm not turned off, but I'm like, why aren't they just telling me the thing? But that final reveal is so good. I'm like, this is one of the examples of this being done right, because you think you put together all the pieces. I get it. Hackman killed her father. That's Mm -hmm. why she hates him. Why are we like tiptoeing around this? And the final hammer blow they're like holding back on is it's the mirror of the scene you've already seen. And you remember that moment, but it just felt like cool Western shit in that moment. And now everything in the movie has like added weight. I think it's one of the few times where that device actually benefits the film at large.
2: Yeah. But you're right about the tension up to that point because the sort of vague flashbacks don't do anything for you. They're like they don't do much but it really does pay off. And it does, do, it does that perfect thing of make you reevaluate the rest of the movie. And yeah. you do see her fear and her, when that moment happens where it is the exact same scene of her father. And, um, it, it like, it just like the memory of it, like jolts you in, in this great way of reevaluation. I, I, I think that scene is really, really great and, and harrowing. And it's also truly surprising. Like I expect her to miss a bunch of times or whatever, but first shot, um, you know hits her dad is like is a real gut punch it's like a,
0: <laughs> it's it's just perfect backstory that's all you need yeah. you know yeah. it's like everything you need to know about this character is in that one moment defining her
2: and, and it shows her motivation but like you know she's not until the end where you put all that stuff together and there's the the sort of final confrontation she is not presented as superhuman she's presented as competent she's presented as very good but you know she doesn't shoot the rope once and not, she she just go bam 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 you're like she really like it is not that she's perfect at this she's just driven um and and it and i think that's another great move with this movie is that yeah
1: everyone is good obviously at shooting but that's why they want <laughs> yeah. to do the shooting <laughs> yeah. but no one is presented as a total terminator if anything the kid is maybe the most like naturally gifted in a way and yeah. that he keeps being like i'm so fast like you know and that's sort of seems to almost be a superpower. And
2: Gene Hackman seems to have a certain superpower to him. Well,
1: he's scary, but he also feels so vulnerable in that way where you're just like, I mean, it's especially the scene, obviously, where the kid dies and he's like, it was never proven that he was my son. Like, he's so, like, sort of pathetic in that scene and, like, clearly just uh, unable to admit his humanity or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, that you kind of are just like, oh god someone take this guy down like it's so perfect
3: yeah off of that david i'll just say too like there's the time when after a fight when he wins obviously he pauses to wait for everyone to clap for him yeah exactly it made me think of mr burns it when mr burns competes in the uh film you know what i mean festival yes Yes, like it just had that vibe like he is really just pathetic truly
2: Yeah, that that is a really good moment. Hold up his hands and please clap for me. (laughs) It's it's so good. Like, and he's expecting it. He's
3: like, I am, you know, the hero of this movie, right? (laughs) Yep,
0: yep. The moment with the kid is so fucking good. And you've set up this uneasy thing of like, DiCaprio's told you, I think he's my father, right? You've seen them have a number of exchanges, and you can't tell whether Hackman is completely oblivious, knows, but is trying not to acknowledge it or doesn't believe it's true, right? Right. And then, you know, he's sort of saying, like, enough's enough, kid. Uh, they go to the shootout. Uh, Stone's trying to talk DiCaprio out of it. He says, like, I just need him to acknowledge me, right? right? I, I need to earn his respect. Right. It's, oh, man, it's sad. It's it so sad. It's, it, really it's What do you want out of this? It's like, I just need him to fucking respect me. And right. then the, the moment, the way he sets that up and cuts it so that it's like draw draw hackman responding to the bullet on the neck you almost think dicaprio's one and then when you cut back to dicaprio's face you see his like shock that he landed a bullet that immediately turns into the physical like uh, he plays it really well he plays yeah. it really fucking well the collapse and then, yeah, yeah and yeah. then he just collapses. right he's like full-on, like, embarrassing child crying, so terrified, I don't want to die, right? And Hackman stands over him, and he fucking reaches out, That's Hackman plays that moment. Yes. He just fucking reaches out, and Hackman, as you said, once DiCaprio dies, he goes through all the motions of, well, they never proved he was actually my kid. Right. I tried to get him out, I told him he didn't have to do this, this and that. Like, Hackman's making every single excuse. When he looks at DiCaprio, he is inscrutable. You cannot read his face, and DiCaprio just wants anything out of him.:
2: Yeah, gives him nothing.
0: yeah. It's really good.
1: and and again, like Roman's saying, like it would be easy for these more emotional moments to fall really flat because the movie's so heightened. like it's it's a tricky task, like getting that stuff to work when you also have, like, someone shooting a perfect hole in Keith David's head and well, the wind I, okay. blowing through it.
0: <laughs> so that's the other <laughs> unbelievable Hackman scene for me.
1: Yeah. Uh, just that It's leading, a really
0: good scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've, you've kept Keith David on the shelf for a while, right? You're like, why he's was around. Keith David introduced if you're not right. going to really use him for, like, 40 minutes or whatever? He's around, yeah, but, like, such a distinctive dude. Then he has that little meeting where he susses the guy out and he's like, okay, they paid you to bring me in. And then that fucking just brutal, like the rules have changed. This is now to the death. Right. I'm knocking this guy down. I'm blowing a hole in the back of his head. And I'm telling all of you how quickly it turns into the like, oh, so you complain to me about not having enough money, but you right. paid some mm-hmm. fucking guy to kill me.
2: That's great. His menace, like turning that moment around is like, yeah, is adding to his like overall power is like, it's, it's, it's great. It's like, right. I think this movie is so perfectly structured. It like, and, and it mimics, it really mimics a video game more than probably anything. And you, where you just get progressively each, each uh, sort of setup of the gunfight is, is like, yep, that has to be the way it is. It can't be another way around. It, you know, like it has to be uh, Court and the lady at the la- you know, last one. It has to be the mm-hmm. it, it's just like it's perfectly structured and the kid and Herod at the very end. Like all of it is like set up really, really uh, perfectly as a, as a plot mechanism and you have four perfect character arcs like yeah, totally and it hits it and, and, and amongst this like really 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 silly premise you know like it,
1: it is undeniably ridiculous premise
0: it's no <laughs> no one could possibly <laughs> defend it it's true i think there is like truly one scene in this movie that feels a little bit wonky to me what i i think it's the only scene in this movie that feels just a little bit miscalibrated which is the, the Sharon Stone, Robert Blossom confrontation in the in graveyard, the in graveyard. the it's rain. True. It just feels overcranked. Like uh, yeah. her and Blossom are both sort of overacting. The scene is overwritten. It feels too expository. Like the movie. Has... It's also coming kind of late. So
1: the movie has yes. to slow down to do it. And it's sort of like, man, eh, we kind of already figured this out. You know what I mean? Right. Like it yeah. feels like you're kind of, the movie's catching up in a way that you don't need it to. Yeah. The
3: rain is good, though. The rain is good. good. It's good. It's slick.
2: Yeah. It's not ruinous, but if like if you're making fun of Sharon Stone in this, this is the the scene you make fun of. It's the scene to pull out.
0: It's the one scene that maybe plays to her weaknesses. And I also think the rest of the movie is just kind of like so clean and lean and economic and diamond cut that this one scene ends up feeling a lot sloppier by comparison.
2: Yeah, I I agree with that. I'm totally able to get over it, though, when I'm watching it.
3: (laughs) Whoa, me too. it's
1: it's just such an easy watch yeah go ahead Ben
3: I want to shout out Spotted Horse (laughs) that character fucking rules I love that his whole thing is he's like I'm just not afraid of this you know (laughs) because like I I don't think we really discussed him like his whole trait though of like and he runs through all the bullets he's taken and he just seems so fucking badass
1: he cannot be killed by a bullet yeah
3: I, I really I was very sad to lose that character, <laughs> oh,
1: that scene is also really b- intense and clever. Yeah. Yeah. The whole thing with Court, uh, like, uh, by you know, like being like, "Get me another bullet, get me another bullet," right. you know, like yeah. with the the blind kid. God, this movie is. <laughs> I. I do wonder, right, in 1995, if people were just like, too much, too many bits. Like, yeah, there's a blind yeah. kid, like, rifling through the bullets. Like, you know, like, is no one in this normal? Is that, Was that the complaint? <laughs> because I was just thinking of that scene, and I'm like, right, it's not only is it everything I'm describing, but the blind kid is then working through the bullets to find a 35 millimeter or whatever. Yeah.
0: No, maybe everything. Uh, Raimi was too fast, too early, and culture has caught up to him, right? In how we can process information and all of this, especially when so much of it's visual. But I do think it's a thing I love about his movies where it's just like every single thing can be something. There's no like unimportant detail, moment, character, performance, shot.
2: I I think this was a victim of its time. This is a movie, and he's a director, of unfettered enthusiasm. And this was a moment in cinema where enthusiasm was not rewarded. It was really a cynical time. And, uh, but I think if you pulled it out today, people would just like, you know, this showed up on, you know, HBO Max today. It would be the talk. Like everyone would love it. Everything would think it was the most amazing second coming type of movie.
0: We were saying this right before we started recording, Roman. I feel like at least once a mini series, there is a movie that we've covered on the podcast, which, because of the nature of this podcast, covering an entire career is the kind of movie that maybe other podcasts will never devote an entire episode to. (laughs) That's sort of a forgotten, odd middle thing, whether, you know, whatever. And I feel like there's one movie per miniseries that like our listeners are like, holy shit, this fucking thing. How did I not know this is my new favorite movie? And I do expect that a lot of people are going to be like, oh, my God, how was I unaware of this film existing? Or... That's some movie I watched on TBS when I was a kid. I had no idea that was a Sam Raimi movie. Mm-hmm. It all mm-hmm. makes more sense now. I,
1: but, like it, but I remember it having, you know, 10% more mustard than right. you'd think, yeah. you think. Know, right, whatever. That movie like,
0: stuck yeah. in my mind as a kid. Or, you know, when I saw it in a dorm room or whatever.
1: It, it's so good. It is funny to think of it in Sam Raimi's career as well, where, like, we are all basically just like, I love it, more Dutch angles, more yeah. smash <laughs> zooms. Like, <laughs> great, great, great. But Sam Raimi's reaction to making this movie was, I need to relax. I need right. to retreat into a hold. He comes back in 1998 with a simple plan, which is his most toned down, you know, uh, you know, sort of visual trickery free movie ever. Mm-hmm. But then the For the Love of the Game and the Gift are similarly much more muted, right? Like it takes him quite a while before Spider-Man sort of encourages all of his, his Looney Tunes stuff again. Like he really goes into hibernation.
0: Yeah. And let's acknowledge... The other shift is, I mean, it's what we've been like, you know, setting this up the entire miniseries. But it is so bizarre that he gets Spider-Man at that moment because they're almost calling him off the bench to do the thing he had sort of walked away from doing. Right. Mm -hmm. Like he had worked so hard to not be seen as that guy. And they were like, hey, the entire industry's changed. We need that guy. You know, it's like them finding MacGruber like at the fucking church in Mexico going like, we need you to cut your head, and come back into action.
2: We need an enthusiast, is what they need. I mean, the yeah. thing is, like, there was that's what, that's what, as a comic book fan, that's what we were calling for was someone who understood the material, or at least the spirit of it in a way yeah. that, um, that didn't, nobody really did. Everyone was like, okay, we got to take him out of the costumes. We got to take him out of this. We got to ground them in this. And, and that was the, all the impulse. And he didn't do that. Right. Cause that, yeah. Tim Burton,
1: Brian Singer, those were directors right. where it's like they were well-regarded directors. But the in the interviews, they'd be like, yeah, I never really read a comic book. Like, you know, <laughs> and that was seen as like, good, 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 good. They're yeah, not going to embarrass exactly mean, us here yeah. or whatever. Right. And yeah, yeah, Sam Raimi is a different vibe.
0: I just remember walking out of the first Spider-Man and going, that's the first movie I've seen that actually feels like a comic book. And so many people had tried to, in a literal way, like Dick Tracy style, make something look like a comic book. But then they're like, you can make a movie with the aesthetics of illustration. And that's the first movie where I'm like, emotionally, this feels like a comic book.
2: Right. They, they, they took the archness of its presentation. Yes. And I the thing was, when I read comic books, I treated them seriously. Like, like they, were, they had emotion between the panels. And it wasn't just putting a proscenium, proscenium arch around a, a frame. It really was something else. And I thought that he captured that. For the first time more than anybody. And then also the technical aspects of it were so great. And and like he just sort of nailed it. And it wasn't until actually I thought he was pretty muted for him in Spider-Man 1. And then Spider-Man 2 where they have an actual horror scene inside of it um, with with the Doc Ock uh, surgery where you go like, oh, God, that's the guy. That's right. Now he's fully back in it. Right. (laughs) One, it
0: still sort of feels like he's auditioning a little bit. Yeah.
2: Right, you'll get there.
0: Yeah, no, I mean it's a lot. It's a lot. The the other thing, just to call out before, I guess we should go on the box office game or any other thoughts we have is that the other thing that happens in the three years between this and uh, Simple Plan when he sort of tries to remake himself as like a serious adult picture maker is uh, the the entire TV empire.
2: Yeah,
1: which is part that's part of his hibernation, right? That's part of him being like, okay, okay,
2: yeah. He's doing something else. Yeah. And he's actually figuring out a really good path for him, which is which is kind of fascinating and probably both more lucrative and more like ability to have success and also not have your life determined by a bunch of morons who run movie studios.
0: That's the biggest (laughs) thing I think is he sort of gets he gets his freedom. He gets his sort of like confidence, you know, he's built this little empire. It's syndicated. They're not really beholden to anybody. It's ever expanding. He's employing all of his friends and his brothers. And it's like that it puts a lot of the anxieties to bed, maybe so that he's able to come back and just go like, what do I want to do as a filmmaker? That's the only concern.
2: Yeah, it makes total sense to me that that it it would take something like Spider-Man to be like, "Okay, well, that's a thing with enough resources and enough, you know, like whatever to to pull me off of this other thing in which I control everything and I don't have to listen to any of you idiots you know and um and that's a good position to be in in your career to be able to say no to everything which he probably did he you know like he probably said no to a ton of things that we would have loved him to do but it just wasn't right and more power to him
0: we'll do uh at some point in some episode but there he's one of those guys where there is an entire wikipedia entry just on on made sam raimi projects it's not a (laughs) subsection of his wiki page it is its own page i'll say a non-merchandise spotlight I know you've made the uh, comparison very aptly a number of times now, Mm -hmm. Roman, but watching this, I kept on thinking like, God, I really wish there had been like a Sega Genesis game. It just, you you could make sure the shootout game with all of these guys who would translate so perfectly into that sort of pixelated art style. Someone make that now.
1: Make a, you know, a web browser (laughs) shooting game, 16-bit. I want to see, you know freaking uh keith david and lance hendrickson's faces all pixelated like I, I give me that please with gene hackman as the final boss obviously right yeah yes, yes right it just it feels like a layup. it's perfect so yeah yeah what, what what are some moments we have obviously this movie is sort of all moments i do love <laughs> pat hingle shout out pat hingle uh very well cast here bartender Borton. Commissioner Gordon himself with a little bowler hat.
0: We've That's joked right. about this before, right. but it is so funny that like casting Commissioner Gordon now is like casting a Yago or something. And it's like, who is worthy of picking up the badge? And at that point they were like, I don't know, who's some guy who looks like a cop? Like Patty yeah, right. never fit Commissioner Gordon as no. a type. No. I mean,
1: God love him. I mean, I, I love him both in all movies and as Commissioner Gordon, but it yeah. is funny that every other Commissioner Gordon, well, I mean, the the ones post uh, gary oldman right yeah yeah it's like a soft-spoken intelligent cerebral <laughs> right. kind of you know war weary cop bangles just like basically got a pocket watch he's
0: like batman are you here yet <laughs> mr freeze is tearing up the museum like you know he's just anyway, it also I mean, it feels like every scene right before he goes on camera he goes like what's my guy's name again
1: <laughs> uh yeah exactly <laughs> commissioner what um so
0: uh pat hinkle anything else yeah i did the ending i think i mean they it's fun that the last 20 minutes of this movie are like an extended work right like everything from dicaprio's death
2: on and the, the payoff like i i love um court kind of turning superhuman for you know at this last moment where he just like shoots people behind his back and like you get like his full powers and realize how much he's been holding back and the the whole premise of uh of like she's literally not a better gunfighter than gene hackman mm-hmm. but in this moment she is and both you believe it gene hackman believes it right. they they just made that really work for for me like they they built up this whole thing to lead to this moment and it's super convincing and a very satisfying ending and then she throws the Marshall star at court who's now going to be you know like the new new sheriff in town
1: just what you wanted even though you haven't been thinking you haven't been thinking like, about it at it,
2: all and you're like yep oh that's perfect you know like it has all these things that come together and then it's like and then black and then it's like done and it's like no wasted time you know
3: i mean sheriff of what's left of the fuck <laughs> sure <laughs> i know
1: not, not the greatest town yeah, in the world not, to be he,
2: didn't,
3: he, he left the she left quite a mess in her wake <laughs> is it did. a lot
1: of people showing up being like hey is this where we do the shooting and it's like no, we don't do that anymore.
0: (laughs) Like, is that happening over and over again? Like, I don't know. It it is this thing I love, though, that, you know, she throws the star back to him. You're completing his arc, right? Here is this guy who never wanted to be a killer, who was forced to shoot this passer, who's tried to recommit himself to the cloth because he feels like he can never uh, get over the sin. Uh, They tease him out. He realizes these innate instincts he has. He cannot help but kill when placed in this situation, that first moment, his first shootout, mm-hmm. when you truly feel like he's ready to die and he is surprised that his hand that reached pulls, for the gun yeah. and shot that fast. It's basket. really, really cool. Right. It's
2: it's it's shot really well. And it's also his like his twitchiness when they, they give him guns to like, yeah. to, to you know, and he, he's looking at him and he knows how to use them and he knows he wants to touch them and it's all there it's shot really really well and and it's super convincing and then you get this moment at the end where you're like i wasn't thinking about this i wasn't thinking about the redemption of court this whole time at all Uh, and and then it's like oh this is the perfect marriage of the things he's feeling and wants to you know make amends for and his uh, literal skill set you know and it makes tons of sense it just it just it just works
0: it feels like this very clean neat tidy happy ending that is fully earned uh But he like lingers on it for an additional moment before it fades to black where you see uh, him looking at the badge and considering it
4: Hmm.
0: like Raimi could have cut like a second or two earlier. And it was just he has the badge. Everything's in order. And it does feel like there's this extra moment there of him looking at it and debating whether or not he wants to do this. And I think of like all three Spider-Man movies end like that. It is this thing that's so distinctive in those movies that all three movies end with this weird lingering moment of Mary Jane being like, what happens now? (laughs) (laughs) You know, like all three of them end on her face, I think. Yeah. And the Evil Dead movies obviously all end with Ash getting like upended in some way. But I Mm -hmm. feel like he always like for... He always needs to pull the rug a little bit or at least leave some kind of graduate-esque lingering question of like, but is it really going to be that tidy? The guy... The guy's still at odds with himself a little bit, you know?
2: That's interesting. I think I read that differently. I think I re- I think I read it as, like, taking time for you to recognize the genius of all this stuff coming together in the right way is, like, part of the way I read that, too. Um, but that's that's super fascinating.
0: I do think he becomes sheriff, but I don't think it's something that, like,
2: it's not a tidy resolution in the end I don't think yeah. he can take it on easily well, I think no- he's well, nothing else he has to, to start uh, hiring a bunch of uh, contractors sleeping. to come yeah
0: yeah <laughs> he's got shit to do Absolutely, such a good fucking movie it's a good
2: fucking
1: movie uh, it's a good fucking movie you want to play that box office game what's okay. up Ben
3: last, last thing uh, Lance Hendrickson's death the squib shot oh
0: also the speed with which everyone takes all of his clothing Oh, I
2: know. Yeah. It starts fighting <laughs> yeah. each other and, over it. And and him, him, like the image of him in his just his long underwear after he's been stripped and he's like just this naked, like plucked chicken looking thing uh, is a real uh, also kind of like pathetic and sad and and is a good image to end on him with with all of his like since he's all surface, you know, he's all like leather and, you know, and it was all the costume,
1: basically. I mean, not all, but yeah. Um, love Lance Hendrickson at all times. He also seems like someone who would scare the shit out of me in real life. Oh, but that's okay. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, the box office game for this one is great. I got to be honest. Okay. With you guys. Well, this well. film came out February 10th, 1995. Okay. Uh, this is a real, there's a lot of Ben's choices in here. Mm. I think. Just okay. to okay. say. Wow. Quick and the dead open number two, six and a half million dollars on its way to an 18 million dollar gross, which is about half its budget. So
0: rude.
1: Not that's good, right. Ben. Um, unfortunately. But uh, it is also opening behind a very dumb comedy that was the launch, I would say, of a major comedy star. So is Is this this
3: like sort of a Ben pick? It's a bit of a Ben (laughs) pick, and it is indeed
1: the film Billy Madison. Yes. Wow. And I do think getting your lunch eaten by Billy Madison... Uh, If you're like Sharon Stone and you're like, you know, big fancy Western, it's not a good look, right? Yeah. It's
2: rough, especially that one where it's, right, it's a particularly dumb style movie. Although I think it's a very good, like, that's one of my favorites of his. Absolutely. Movie. Right. Yeah, I mean, we we, we start, all
0: agree. Yeah. that's top yeah. tier. Sandler. Yeah. 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 Tamara Davis is also someone, if there was ever a Ben region in March Madness, she is a real candidate. Yeah. Well, you know, it's
1: a weird, it's a weird bunch of movies. It's Gun Crazy, which I've never seen but is the Drew Barrymore, Michael mm-hmm. Ironside kind of like action indie, right? Yeah. Then yeah. CB4, uh-huh. which oh, is a, a, wow. a, a crucial <laughs> wow. pop culture artifact. <laughs> yep. <laughs> then it's... Billy Madison, then Best Men, the Dean Cain
3: anti-dick.
1: I've never seen right. that That doesn't movie.
3: really exist. But what's the
0: next one, David?
1: It's a little film called Half-Baked.
3: Hell yeah Half <laughs> Big just like hands down The movie I've seen the most Dude, Not too surprising To hear that
1: um, uh, Then Skipped Parts which is like A Jennifer Jason Lee movie that Never really came out Then the Britney Spears movie Crossroads Yes mm-hmm. uh, And then uh, She made like a Basquiat documentary
3: And okay, that's Also it. an incredible Incredible like Amount of music videos for awesome bands, like, yes, some yes. really so a big music video director. some really huge stuff. A lot of TV as well, but also, I mean, let's, let's
0: not brush over her Bascott documentary. She worked at an art gallery in 1986 or is it 83? She was friends with Bascott. It's a documentary of footage she shot interviewing him as her friend, right? Right, two and years he before died. he died, and she sat on it for 20 years before she was ready to edit it. So, it's like hmm. someone making a Documentary with all this unbelievable unseen footage from... Fine! We're doing Tamara Davis. It's She's decided. It on okay. the list. She's Half very cool. podcasted. I don't know. Okay. Billy Madison,
1: number one. Quick and the hard. Dead, number two. Mm-hmm. Number number three is a... Uh, it's a sort of... It's a holdover from Christmas season. It's a very Tony, pretty, uh, epic movie hmm. that is not very good. Hmm. Um, it's one of those movies that was clearly a major Oscar play and was widely ignored, uh, except for technical nominations. Hmm. Um, but it is a major moment for its star, mm-hmm. uh, who is on the up and up. It's, it's one of those movies that is basically forgotten, except as sort of a title, and its, it's score is kind of famous. Huh. It's a period film? It is. It's it's an it's a western as well. It's another western actually. We forgot to mention this one. Uh, huh. So sort of fr- frontier movie,
0: big. It's it's long. It's dramatic. There's crying. People die. You know. D- did you have a guess until he said western Roman? It looked like you had a notion.
2: No, I, I nothing is ringing a bell with me, and this is huh. like a this is a hallmark of me listening to the show and listening to the box office games. So so uh, yeah, I don't. I have no idea.
0: The score is sending me because I feel like I I keep track of like those it's, sort of weirdly overused scores, in the, right, overused in trailers that, a lot. that people yes. even forget what movie mm. they're originally from. Exactly,
1: um,
2: and you say the right. be, be holiday time of '94. It was
1: released Christmas '94. Uh, it was a hit. It made a lot of money. Uh, it made not maybe not as enough that it made sixty six million dollars, one hundred sixty worldwide. You know, it was a pretty pretty solid hit for what i think is an r-rated uh you know uh super long it's not it's like you know two hours 20 minutes or whatever yeah what about the director he's a director who has made a lot of epic films okay he's a fairly major director but i would say he is um uh not the best it's not a zwick
0: is it it is a zwick it is a zwick so what's the zwick after glory
1: it's after Glory. Uh, he also did a movie called Leaving Normal, in between this and Glory, with uh, uh-huh. Christine Lottie and Meg Tilly. I think one of uh, yeah his better movies. Of course, he does Courage Under Fire right after this movie. I already right. mentioned that this this episode.
2: So is this The Last Samurai? It's not The Last Samurai. That's in okay. the 2000s. Okay, that's why it's really far off, but that's the only right. thing I can think of. That's the first time I remember his name. That is his
1: wick, of course. He also made Blood Diamond. He made uh, The Siege. He made love and other drugs somewhat bizarrely.
0: It's not it's not Legends of the Fall, is it? It's there? Legends oh, of oh, the Fall. Okay. Yeah. okay.
1: Uh Brad yep. Pitt,
0: Anthony Hopkins,
1: Aidan Quinn, Julia Ormond. Yes. A movie I recently watched for reasons I cannot remember. Mm. Can confirm. It. Pretty boring. Looks Pretty nice. Boring. <laughs> right. Right. Uh and it's kind of like a pit performance, because this is post- You know, Pitt emerging as like Himbo King, Johnny Mm -hmm. Suede, Thelma and Louise, Cool World, right? Like it's post that. It's in his like River Runs Through It, you know, uh, interview with the Vampire Legends of the Fall Days where he's so pretty, but he's boring. Like, he doesn't get to have any fun. Like, and it's like once he's in 12 Monkeys and True
0: Romance and shit, it's like fun. Yes, right. Brad Pitt is actually a very twitchy over the top actor. It is funny that 95 is 7 and 12 Monkeys. Like, Legends yeah. of the Fall, Interview with a Vampire is peak, like, 94. Let Brad Pitt just be pretty. Let him he's stand. He's straight mm. up bad in Interview with a Vampire. Like, Tom Cruise acts him off the screen in
1: that movie, and it's annoying because it should be like, here we go, Cruise and Pitt, you know? Right. Like, you know, <laughs> this is going to be great. And Pitt is such a dish rag in that movie. Mm. Uh, in Legends of the Fall, he's a little more fun, but he's, you know, just very serious. Very, sure. very serious. sure. Uh yeah uh yeah it's a James Horner score grip it's,
0: right it's yeah, common, yeah no no, yeah. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. for some reason I always think that movie's earlier because of how big it was for Pitt's career but yes mm-hmm. yeah that's why I was second guessing it
1: uh number four is a you know a dramedy uh female characters um I've never seen it it's the final film of a fairly well known director mm-hmm. who had a very long career making you know, Hollywood comedies and dramas. Mm -hmm. Um, Three female stars. I would say two very famous at the time. One kind of on the up and up, but famous now. I always get these confused.
0: Is it Boys on the Side? It's Boys on the Side. (laughs) Okay. Well done. Who directed it, Griffin? Uh, That's what I'm trying to remember. Boys on the Side is Herbert Ross? It's a Herbert Ross. It's his last film.
1: Okay. After a very, obviously, Herbert Ross made Funny Lady and uh, The Turning Point and The Goodbye Girl and, you know, Pennies from Heaven. He made so many Footloose, you know, Steel Magnolias. He made tons of movies. It's written by Don Roos, which is interesting, Uh Griffin. You know, before, obviously, he becomes a a director. Yeah. Whoopi Goldberg, Drew Barrymore, Mary Louise Parker.
0: I get boys on the side confused with how to make an American quilt. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I think that's okay. And I feel like there's one other movie of that era where I'm just like, which combination of the actors is it? Those movies where they're kind of generational. And yeah. I'm like, which one's Drew Barrymore? Which one's Winona Ryder? Which one's Whoopi? Which one's Anne Bancroft? <laughs> exactly.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Has this anyone is... seen Boys on the Side? Uh, no, I've not. No.
2: No, I've not seen Boys on the Side. It is uh, really amazing to watch this in person because I was 20 years old. Uh, mm-hmm. when this came out, and I have yeah. no memory of it whatsoever. I think you were maybe nine, Griff? <laughs> like, I don't even want to tell you how old I was. That, I think he was like <laughs> six. I was six. <laughs> I was six. <laughs> and so uh, this, is, um, this, is a, this is a pleasure to watch. So, yeah, Honestly,
1: he was now. about to turn six. It's yeah. February 9th. <laughs> My birthday's coming up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, number five at the box office. It's a hit comedy that had come out in Christmas. It's made $111 million. Is it like a family comedy?
0: No, it is more of a teen gross-out vibe, although the characters are not teens. Sure. Okay, so it's a 1994 gross-out comedy. Is it, is it Dumb and Dumber? It's Dumb and Dumber. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah.
3: Another Ben pick, right, Ben? I'm sure you liked Dumb and Dumber. No, I hated it. It was actually really, like, felt like so beneath me, kind of. You found it disrespectful. Yeah, it was disrespectful, it was tasteless, you know, Absolutely. vulgar. I'm sorry,
1: sorry for saying anything, Ben. Yeah, um, I mean, I don't
3: love when somebody just makes a really loud, annoying noise for a long extended period of time, driving a hitman insane, not your kind of <laughs> and leading him to have a heart attack. That isn't hilarious to me. Some other <laughs> movies in the top uh-huh. 10.
1: You've got Nobody's Fool, the Paul Newman. Yes. Uh, Oscar vehicle. You've got
2: In the Mouth of Madness, a little movie mm-hmm. we've discussed before. Very good movie. You, I great remember movie. seeing the theater and I enjoyed your coverage of it. I think that one's a, Fucking... another underrated movie.
0: Agreed. Yeah. I think that was similarly kind of the the quick and the dead of that series. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, you got the kind of mostly forgotten film Murder in the First, which was one of the That's many... That's Kevin
0: Bacon Oscar play. Yeah.
1: Exactly. One of the many early 90s movies that Kevin Bacon pops in And will get he got like a SAG nomination Mm -hmm. and got an Oscar. you know, like there's just like that run of bacon in the 90s where it's like he's it's post, you know, cute bacon in the 80s. It's him proving himself like JFK, Few Good Men, River Wild, Murder in the First, Apollo
0: 13. Right. I don't need to be the star. I want to do good supporting parts in big movies. Yeah, he's
1: good in all of them. And he's always overlooked.
2: Is Gary Oldman the other counterpart in that one? Or am I thinking of a different movie?
1: Well, Gary Oldman, of course, is in JFK. He plays Lee Harvey no, Oswald. No. But in Murder uh, but in the yes, First? Yes, he is in Murder in the First with Christian Slater Right, as well. the, the Slater is the Slater is the... He's the do-gooder lawyer who is uh, defending Kevin Bacon. And I think mm-hmm. Oldman might be the villain...
0: Lawyer or something. He's I the like associate he's the... prison warden of Alcatraz. Oh, he's the I'm prison warden. Here. That's
1: right. Yeah, and he's. Oh, yeah. He's actually really good. This is one of those movies that's like it's a total six out of ten. Yeah. But the actors. I mean, Slater is kind of whatever, but like everyone
0: else is good because William H Macy is in it and Beth David's, Brad Dourif, Arlie Ermy, Tobolowski, Mia. Kirshner. Arlie Ermy is the judge, I think. Yeah. Guess what? He has wild. a lot of
1: fun. Um, <laughs> it's a very subtle performance, of course, by Arlie Eury. Uh Ben, another film here. I'm noticing that maybe you were interested at number nine, The Jerky
3: Boys, film
1: <laughs> in theaters. You no again, guys? David? You're
3: completely, you're completely off. Um, oh, of course, right. prank calls. Like I, you know, I was to too busy screen. just deep into reading Moby Dick <laughs> yeah. and you know, fine right, works of literature. Right, 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 I would right. never laugh. You know, at like a guy who says you kicked my dog.
1: And uh, number ten <laughs> at the box office: Highlander Three, The Sorcerer, also oh, known man. as Highlander: The Final Dimension.
0: Another Ben pick.
1: Uh, <laughs> another Ben pick, of course, because can ben, we say uh, Ben's been? Us.
0: He's been petitioning to do Highlander on Patreon. Yes, yeah, so if yeah, you guys are true. into that, hit us up
2: a series of diminishing returns that you will yeah. have a that will be a hard day for you right <laughs> it'll be
0: fun though it will be we'll very fun blast. <laughs> um david i'm sorry i'm sorry just to circle back quickly i i think i missed uh I, I or you maybe weren't specific enough which jerky boys movie was it in the in the top 10 at this point uh which one it's this the, is the
2: jerky boys i think it's the original recipe it's right the original there. 1995 mm-hmm.
1: The
0: Jerky Boys. The movie. I'm just confused. They made so many successful movies together. It was <laughs> okay. hard. To... All
1: right. The Jerky Boys. Okay. Um. Yeah. Uh, 81 minutes long. Honestly, longer than I thought it would be when I looked up the <laughs> running time. I was like, was this a cool 75? No, they got it to 81. Okay. Um, yeah. This so you qualify for Oscars, numbers, you know. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Course, above, above 80. 80. Yeah. Uh, so that's your top 10. Fun top 10, in my opinion, even Very though fun The top Quick and the 10. Dead was treated rudely yeah um yeah we're done
0: uh roman you host a wildly successful podcast that so <laughs> does not need our boost 99 percent visible but it's a phenomenal show
2: thank you so much I, I it's a real honor to be here like i listened i've listened to nearly every episode of this show i'm a patreon subscriber i wow. it was my it was my real companion during the beginning of the covid uh wow novel coronavirus the what Yes, I'm familiar with it. Um, But like, especially the I I jumped in there with all the Marvel movies and. And um, no, I, I this uh, show means a great deal to me, so I'm really honored to be here. Thank you so much. It, it
0: is uh, long overdue. Uh, you've you've been very kind to us, and we've been talking with you for like years now <laughs> since you started listening to the show, and you've been very mm. uh, supportive and yeah, uh, my, my a, a good friend to the podcast, even though it's only manifesting on mic now. But uh, I'm <laughs> I'm glad I threw you just sort of the list of like you know oh by the way we should have you on at some point. Here are some of the things and you immediately spark to like quick and the dead rules.
2: Yeah, w- when you mentioned Ramy, w- the the one thing is like I feel like when it comes to like Evil Dead and Spider-Man, like there's there's a scholar of these things that is required for those movies in a certain way and Quick and the Dead was is sort of my like my favorite in and yeah. also low stakes enough for me to feel like i wouldn't ruin it
0: <laughs> we do we do arguably have three different scholars lined up for the spider-man trilogy we do so, we do yeah, it's gonna yeah. be that's gonna be a good little run there. i think yeah. it's a good run no yeah. but
2: I'm, I'm it's a real pleasure to be here and, and thanks so much and I,
0: pleasure's yeah. all ours uh now please uh, never come on the show again you make us sound like a <laughs> pubescent boys
3: no you'll be back i think i, think I did great
2: I think everyone. I think everyone sounds marvelous. Everyone sort of talks about my voice, but like I'm a big uh, lover of all voices, to tell you the truth. Like that that is not a bias I have.
0: Yeah, but your voice is better. (laughs) Even just the way you said that. (laughs) Yeah, I I couldn't deliver it that well. (laughs) Um, thank you all for listening. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you,
3: Roman. He says subscribe.
0: I refuse to say follow.
3: Which
2: it's just I'm all team griffin on this one
0: thank you <laughs> <laughs> all right even if the terminology is wrong right. everyone knows what i'm saying i Maybe.
2: don't i don't like follow i don't know what it means i know subscribe means something different to people but it's like it's one of those ones that i don't i do not like follow i don't know what it, does it mean i'm going to download the thing i don't know subscribe i don't know means that's my thing
0: me. I'm like, I feel like if I say rate, review, and follow, people are like on social media.
2: Exactly. Exactly. No. I feel no. your pain as a producer, Ben, because I'm a, I, I'm a longtime producer in addition to being a host. And when you try to get your hosts to do something and they will refuse to do, I, I understand that pain. So I'm with you on that side. That you're just trying to do what's right for the show. I don't show. know what you're talking about. I'm but. a dream otherwise. It's never <laughs> difficult to get me to do
0: anything. But.
2: But subscribing is what it's called. I, yeah. I can't get behind this. You gotta subscribe.
0: Then it's
3: official. We've decided we're back to subscribe. You yeah. gotta subscribe.
0: And here's the thing. If you want to follow, you can follow our social media accounts run by Marie Barty. David's happy that I pulled off that transition. He's also saying wrap it up. Uh, thank you to AJ McKee and Alex Barron for our editing. JJ Birch, Nick Loriano for our research. Lane Montgomery and the Great American Elf for a theme song. Cat Rounds, Joe Bowen, for our artwork. You can go to BlankCheckPod.com for all the nerdy things that used to take up seven different callouts in this outro. Tune in next week for a simple plan. Uh, you can go to Patreon.com slash BlankCheck for BlankCheck special features, where at this point, we are getting ready to do the Batman movies, right? Yes. We're doing all the Batman movies we haven't covered before. Uh, it's called Hashtag Not All Batman. That's what uh, it's So no Burton, uh, no uh, Nolan, but we're including Animateds. Uh, I think it'll be a fun, weirdly diverse series considering that all the movies star uh, a Batman. <laughs> and as always, this is a, a different thing than I usually do for End As Always, but I felt like I, I had to read this, David. It could not go unread. The final little bit that JJ and Nick put in their research dossier for this week for *Quick and the Dead is not specifically relevant to this movie but I just think it's a beautiful thing it says uh, there's this great quote from Bruce Campbell that I want to throw in because I haven't yet talked about how much Raimi loves to garden and this is the quote he's had compost piles in the back of his house from the first time I've known him Sam used to take Super 8 film and grind it up and then grow vegetables and eat the vegetables he's the only filmmaker who eats film that is pretty cool
2: that's yeah, pretty fucking that. cool. That's both like cool and sweet and also badass. So. Yeah.
0: And I hope his digestive tract is handling that okay. <laughs>